You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host Matt Bledsoe. Uh, this week we are talking about Jackie Brown from 1997. To help me talk about it, I'm happy to be joined by not just one but two of my favorite guests. Uh, first, we have a man you last heard on the show talking about the Rocketeer. It's been way too long since he's been here. Uh, Preston Mitchell, Preston, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me again. It's been too long since I've been here. It, yeah, so right. I looked back. I was like, when was Preston on? It was like June december what happened half the year went away <laughs> like it's bananas <laughs> Dude, i flew away like the rocketeer man like, i had my clip c cord on you got you your jetpack but... and you flew away for six months <laughs> so, <laughs> um but i'm happy you're back it's been too long um and we are happy to also be joined by someone else always happy to talk movies with it's carmelita valdez mccoy carmelita how you doing hi friends i'm good <laughs> I'm so I'm... happy to be back on Film Feast. Yes, not as long for you, uh, not not six months. So that's good. No. <laughs> so, no. um, this I I will say right off the bat, I am stealing this duo of podcast guests from Daniel's Cobwebs episode of Lawrence of Arabia because I don't think you guys ever podcasted before that episode together. Correct? Like no, the two our, of you. That was the first time. Yeah, and I was like, there's some something special here like there's like a good podcast chemistry i was like i want to steal these two and do a podcast with them Aww, uh, thanks, yeah friends. so thanks to daniel for setting her give me the idea and i stole it so <laughs> um but when i was listening that was such a fun episode i've still never seen lawrence arabia i apologize one day i'll have you don't need to apologize three it's and not half going hours. anywhere <laughs> so, it's a film um, that endures you'll get your chance i will i've been All watching albert pune movies endures. so i've been busy watching you know, real cinema. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> take that, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, but but yeah, I was like looking for something to talk with you guys about. And this all kind of fell into place because Press and I had an idea that we will still do down the road. Um, but then somebody pointed out Jackie Brown was having his 25th anniversary. I know how you both, I think, feel about this movie. I looked on Letterboxd, I did some stalking. I was like, I think this is the <laughs> this is the movie to get you guys on for because I really want to talk about it. Um, so yeah, I, this is gonna be a lot of fun. I'm <laughs> looking forward to it. Um, so and I, it's 20th anniversary. It's not quite yet Christmas Day, 1987. It's very funny to me. This is a Christmas movie. Like <laughs> we'll get into it more. <laughs> how how okay? You're talking about how did 20. 22 go by so fast where the hell did the last 25 years go that's, <laughs> that's a good question that's a good question that could turn that's a whole other path this podcast go down where i just go where the last 25 well, and we years we might go. go there because aging is definitely one of oh the themes God. in this yeah. movie so that's a major Very theme of this so. movie that it's better the older you get so <laughs> we'll talk about that um 
But as we usually do on this show, before we get into the movie, uh, want to talk about anything you guys have seen lately? And I guess I could start with you, Carmelita. Anything sure. you've seen that you want to talk about? I I've got one for you. Okay. I mean, I watch a lot of things, but I've been doing a lot of like podcast prep watching. So I'm going to spare you all of that. But I did recently finally watch Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde from 1971. And I, I found it on Tubi. It, let me tell you, it was worth sitting through commercials. <laughs> I, I had so much fun with this movie. I, you know, I mean, Hammer Horror, it's like some that are just like so amazing and then other ones that are just really entertaining and fun are almost comical in some ways. This one was so good. It looks incredible. The cast is great. It's a it's a really cool tweak on the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story. You know, Dr. Jekyll does not become a monster. He becomes a woman. And so it's like, <laughs> it's, this movie's wild. It's very cool. And like the, the effects they use to do the transformation of Jekyll becoming his female self really well executed this movie is cool so go on Tubi. we're sitting through the commercials for dr jekyll and sister hyde i had a blast with this movie preston have you seen this movie i have not um okay. i'm ashamed to admit my only acquaintanceship with um uh, the, the hammer horror is the christopher lee dracula stuff with pure pushing so i have to get on that like i didn't hear about this movie until Maybe a year ago, I was listening to a couple of uh, horror podcasts and uh, me, you know, you guys and some of the other, uh, some of our other Conrads on uh, film Twitter, um, my horror knowledge has gone up just a tad bit, you know, so, and it's something I'm still dipping my foot into, but that sounds really interesting. Um, I love the Jekyll and Hyde story. Um, and there's, you know, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of, a lot of really meaty cinematic interpretations of it so i'll have to check that out especially with your endorsement that sounds really dope highly recommend it i had so much fun and i back that up because i watched it like a month ago for the first time Yay! <laughs> wow. uh, i think because edgar wright was on the pure cinema podcast and mm. brought it up mm. and i had heard the name i think but didn't know much about it. he really sold it and he was right it's really good it's really well made um the transformation like you said is great it looks great. There's like a, a Jack the Ripper subplot they work in, like to the whole yeah. thing. It's like, it's really good. It's one of my, I think one of my favorite Hammer movies now. Like, wow. And I think I heard Daniel talk about it. Maybe I'm imagining where I told, maybe I talked to him that about it. That was when I first <laughs> heard about it. And Daniel has become kind of my, like, I listen whenever Daniel's talking Hammer horror. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man who yeah. knows, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's when it had first got on my radar. But I, you know, it took me a while to get to it. So happy that I finally did. It's yeah, it's really good. I I I think you'd like it, Preston. There's a lot going on in that movie. Like it's not your typical, it's not really a typical horror movie that I've seen. It's very it's very unique. Um, it sounds like, like wild you, the way yeah, you normally described it. It sounds pretty wild. Like, yeah. there's a Jack the, I mean, you mentioned there's a Jack the Ripper subplot, so I just have to <laughs> I have to watch that now. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it was even on Tubi when I watched. I think I had to like pay to rent it, but it was worth it. But it was like worth the three bucks. But uh, it's on Tubi. Definitely, definitely watch it. Um, yeah. So I'll good recommendation. That. Yeah. Um, 
and that was all that was all you want to talk about, right? Which is that one. Yeah, yeah. I know you've been busy. So yeah. So um <laughs> Preston, what do you think? I mean, I'm gonna got? spare you. Like I've watched some out there weird things, but it's fine. No. That's okay. enough front of me. That's another podcast. Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> um Preston, what about you? Oh, um, well, for the first time, so I knocked off like um, I'm not gonna say like a major, major classic, like it's not Lawrence of Arabia, wink wink. But it is. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Matt. <laughs> um, no, I'd say it's a bit of a minor classic. So I finally saw uh, John Ford's "How Green Was My Valley" for the first time. Mm. Have either of you heard of that? I've oh heard yeah, I've heard of it, and I I've seen it in pieces. It's. I think it's really, really, really quite good. Um, I'll say up front, like I'm, I'm not always the biggest John Ford guy. I know that's a bit of a. a kind of unpopular opinion definitely amongst like classic film circles um there there's his movies often oscillate between even though okay i will say this i i do enjoy a lot of his stuff so let me just get that out front like liberty balance one of my favorite movies of all time love that movie to death um but that movie is i feel like his capra movie in a lot of ways whereas a lot of his other stuff strikes me as or can strike me as overly maudlin um in some moments he'll comment on uh, racism and then in other moments it'll be a racial caricature as a joke, which mm. doesn't sit well with me, even though the genre he's most popular in is one of my favorite genres. So that's been <laughs> kind of a struggle within myself. But with this movie, it's devoid of most of that. Um, it's because uh, it's a period piece. Um, it's set in about the, I believe the 1900s. It's telling the story of a family. It's a chronicle of a Welsh mining family um, where it's following the youngest child and the youngest child is played by a very young Ryan McDowell, uh, Peter Vincent himself for all the <laughs> Friday night fans out there. And, um, so it's set during the late, um, kind of the, the late Victorian era before industrialization really took place. And, um, basically what happens is that the, the mining town that everybody in this little small ass village works at, like, um, they start to have their pay, um, they start to have their pay cut. And the dad of the family that Ryan McDowell is kind of, it, he, he's a big patriarch in the, whole, in the whole community, essentially. And he's not for the strike publicly, but he's not against it either. Which, uh, and since his four out of his five sons work at the, the, the coal mining mill, they basically rebel against their father along with the rest of the town. <laughs> And uh, there's also um, a romance to the side with Walter Pigeon. Uh, he, um, he's, he's known um, for a few movies like Miss, uh, Mrs. Miniver, which I think was a, another Best Picture winner during this era. Um, he's romancing kind of the sister of the family played by Maureen O'Hara. So let me just say this, like Walter Pigeon, since he, I find him in this one movie to be a better actor than John Wayne is in most of his movies. The chemistry between both of them is way more engaging to me way more it, it pulled at my heartstrings a lot more mm. and this whole movie just got me in the in the soul like there's a lot that happens to this family just being from a little kid's perspective about how he becomes a man uh there's a lot going on with the sister there's a lot of re uh, religious commentary as well for a movie of the time which is very interesting and i think had the movie not one best picture um versus citizen kane and maltese falcon which both of which came out that same year, it would have a much, a much higher reputation, um, which is sad because I think um, 
I was actually reading some letterbox reviews um, right after I logged it, and like it, it, the movie seems to be highly regarded by people who actually you know sit down with it. So I would I would assure people if you're kind of like me, if you're a John Ford skeptic, but you like to go against the grain sometimes and try to find those gems, this is to me it's right up there with Liberty Balance for me is like one of my one of my favorites from him. So nice. I need to sit down and watch it from start to finish. I have a thing with John Wayne. Mm-hmm. He's John Wayne or John Ford? Well, both. But okay. Okay. <laughs> definitely John Wayne. Understandable. John, uh, understandable. I'm more of a revisionist Western kind of girl. I okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm with you. Like yeah, yeah. Paw, that type of stuff. Exactly. Leo exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I, I need to be more open-minded and go back and rewatch some of these things or sit down and watch them from start to finish. Cause you know, I'd catch bits and pieces on television mm-hmm. and not really commit. Cause I was kind of like, eh, I, I need to, <laughs> I need to sit down and like really watch. So this is, this is the little nudge that I need. And I've never seen it. And I was going to say, as soon as you said the title, it's like a trigger response in my brain. Somehow this movie has become synonymous with boring to me. You said the title and I was like, how green is my valley? And I was like, Ugh. like, I just, <laughs> like, like, I don't know what, maybe it's had a reputation over the years as being boring. Or maybe I forgot mm-hmm. that it beat Maltese Falcon and Sissy Game Best Picture. Maybe that got it a bad reputation because that always kind of. You know, um, if you beat like a movie that becomes beloved later, it's like you kind of get, yeah. <laughs> you kind of catch some heat. So I feel something about that title for years has just been equated with boring. As soon as I heard, I don't know why it's completely unfounded. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's just some weird. No, I thing. actually don't think it's un- it's unfounded at all. I mean, I actually rewatched Citizen Kane a few days before I I, I watched this for the first time, and uh, it, it was very it was really interesting because. Um, so my, this is one of my mom's favorite movies. That's actually kind of one of the main reason why I saw this out or sought this out, excuse me. And um, um, for years, I kept putting it off. I was like, mom, okay, I'll watch. Okay, you had me at the melodramas. You, you, you had me at the Westerns. You had me at the, the, other, the other stuff. But like that title, man, it just does not sound does not sound exciting (laughs) no it does not um and and the movie admittedly is a bit overly maudlin like he kind of okay he kind of pulls a he kind of pulls a little i call it the james wan and death sentence effect a movie (laughs) i otherwise really enjoy where Mm -hmm. anytime kevin bacon is anytime there's a scene where it's kevin bacon and his kids the movie has this like really irritating like religious choir in the background i'm like holy mm. fuck can you stop like you've already got me like i don't got need all that this stuff movie. Well, yeah. like yeah no uh yeah ford, ford is is not always subtle <laughs> but this story actually really is um in fact there's for a movie of, of its time again same year as citizen kane there were times where i didn't know I had to actually look up to see like what the mining the because the mining site's massive like when you actually like see um uh, images of it and I couldn't decide is this a matte painting or is this actual set mm. and coming to behold John Ford actually commanded the filmmakers to to build an 80 an 80 acre like m- uh, mining town like with all the intricacies and all that stuff I'm sure <laughs> some of the stuff some of the interiors that was a, that was were separate sets but the amalgamations of it like were very modern um and and 
the fact that it's like I think like barely under two hours, like I I, I don't think it's much of a chore to sit through. Um, That's nice personally. too. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's ears perked up. He's I'm like, listening under two hours. Won <laughs> 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 me back after how green was my family. <laughs> that is oh that title maybe it's just a title like and throw a question mark on there make it interesting how green was my valley question mark <laughs> i feel that dude i, I knew this is gonna be like the hardest pitch off any of our reps but oh. you know I no i'm sold i'm sold challenge yeah, accepted. i mean i'm not against it now that you talked about it like before i was yeah, like yeah i'm never watching that movie but now i'm like maybe i'll watch that movie <laughs> i'm putting it on my letterbox list right now i appreciate that carmelita no. I've only seen two John Ford movies, God. which Stagecoach and Liberty Valance. And I really mm -hmm. liked both of them. Uh, I like Stagecoach too, actually. I should yeah. watch more John Ford. That's good John Wayne. I think I talked to Daniel about this, where it's like, because that's John Wayne before he really got the persona down. Like, he's so young mm -hmm. in that, that he's not like what I think of as John Wayne from like probably 20 Boring. years after that. <laughs> like um, Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's well, not. That'll do, I, Matt. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is good. You've helped break down the barrier on how green is my valley that I will give it a chance now at some point after Lawrence of Arabia, probably. <laughs> okay, that's way better. I'll, I'll just okay, say okay, that. there you go. Okay. <laughs> how green in my how green is my valley is less of a commitment at under two hours. Well, that's true. It that's is. true. But it he is. just said Lawrence of Arabia is better, so I don't know. I mean, Time because spent... it's Lawrence of Arabia, that just goes without saying. This is true. Um, but how you yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> uh, how will you follow up? How green is my valley, Preston? <laughs> what else do you have? Oh, uh, well, the other, the only, the other movie I, um, I have. Um, uh, so I saw. I got really curious, and a buddy of mine recommended this to me pretty recently. Uh, he and I, we talk movies all the time, like serious movies, uh, stodgy movies, those kinds of things. You know, the, <laughs> the, the weighty stuff. But um, I watched. Um, have you guys seen uh, an autumn afternoon at all? No. No. Um, so um, it's the, so I'm very new to this filmmaker. His name is Yasujiro Ozu. Like who, he's pretty prominent. He's kind of considered the, the other kind of big uh, Japanese filmmaker of that movement. And uh, this is his last movie, which is interesting. This is only my second movie of his. It came out in 1962. Um, and pretty much it's set in post-war Japan, uh, specifically Tokyo. And it's following, it's like a slice of life movie where it's uh, it's just like this dad. I watched like both family driven movies like this past weekend. It was very interesting. And then I watched Die Hard. So that was kind of <laughs> Also about family. That also about family. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Mrs. McLean. Yeah, that, that whole thing. Um, but no, um, it, so the movie is very plotless. <laughs> this one's even more harder sell than how oh, okay. it because um but but i but i i was really charmed by it i was actually really taken aback by the so basically what the movie is about um the, the actual plot it follows um a father um, who's who's been widowed and uh his daughter is just kind of i'm not trying to be misogynistic carmelia when i say this but like she's kind of in a subservient role um, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because it's just him and, and um, his oldest son or youngest son and then her and then his oldest son is out of the house and he's married but the that son is terrible with money um, he he's kind of in a in a very 
vapid marriage, so to speak, where the wife wants him to, to have more agency. He wants him to kind of take more control. And kind of the feeling of Malou between the son and the father, like the actual patriarch, is shared by a lot of the patriarch's friends whenever they play like, uh, I don't want to call it craps. It's kind of like a, I, bet, I think it's a cultural barrier, my goodness, but they, they're playing a game together as him and like two other old guys mm. as they're kind of reflecting on all of their, all three of them, they have dead wives. All three of them, they all sent their daughters off uh, to get married, with the exception of the main character. Like he is super hesitant to get his daughter married off because he misses his wife. He sees his wife and his daughter. And what I loved about it is like every single conflict that you'd see from movies like this, like whether it be like a comedy or like even a straight drama, it, it avoids that. Everything is very matter of fact. It's the background that is what's so dense about it. And um, I was taken aback by the movie so much to where there's a scene in the middle where a guy tells the dad like, hey, like here are the dangers of you like keeping your daughter to yourself. You gotta let her become a woman, dude. And he's just, he literally just like looks around. There's no John Ford music. There's no James Wan choir in the background. He just looks around <laughs> and goes, damn, okay. And then the movie hits another gear and it becomes more plot driven. And um, I just thought it was beautifully shot. Um, it's antithetical to Kurosawa in that um, it's, 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 you're taken back you're meant to appreciate the everyday things like washing your car and like the little annoying kids in the streets, you know, yapping at the old people. Like there's, um, it's just a celebration of, of, of the underrated parts of the human condition, which I appreciate So yeah, I, I really like both of these films, you know, so yeah. Nice. Okay. I haven't seen it. It sounds delightful. It's, I was charmed by it. It's, it's a, it's, it's a breeze. Again, it's another, barely two hour movie. So, uh, you know, and it's funny because yeah, I'm like, wait, I heard, I'm not going to tie that. I've heard of Ozu. He has a lot of stuff in Criterion collection. I think that I always see mm -hmm. like Tokyo story. I think it's yeah. called early spring, late summer. It's like two separate movies I think are connected. Um, I think he does a lot of these like just human kind of, I don't know what you call them, not dramas, I guess. They're not that dramatic, but like just kind of human stories. Like they're not, you know, he's just kind of telling these like simple, stories but i've not seen any of his stuff but i've heard about it for years so i i recommend this one as a starting point like uh, i've only seen uh, one other one and i really like that one but this one is the one that really grabbed me uh so much so to where i want to honestly go back to that both of these films at some point and then just see all his other stuff because um a lot of the criterion stuff is on hbo so oh yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if you if you have hbo uh i definitely recommend um you know, going through this movie, maybe, you know, picking out Tokyo Story, that's probably going to be my next one. So I know that's kind of his like big, big opus. In fact, have you guys ever seen, it's not Ozu, but like the Jarmusch <laughs> movie Patterson by chance with Adam I haven't Driver? Seen it, no. no, but I've heard of it. It's been on my list for a while because it sounds like a real simple slice of life, day in the life yeah. type movie. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like that. It's like for a movie that shouldn't be that interesting it's just fun the whole time and that's what this was so yeah i i wish it would have came in with some bigger albert pune kind of uh <laughs> recommendation but uh that's that's what i've been watching is a lot of family stuff i don't know i've been in my yeah. feels i guess this past that's weekend so <laughs> that's okay it's that time Good. of year it's that yeah. time of year it is yeah, we just got done with Sad Vember. So, I mean, you know, you're still <laughs> watching family drama. I get it. I get it. Um, 
I've been all over the place. So I'm just going to pick the two the two new movies I saw. Um, I saw Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which How was, was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, yes. So good. I, it's, I, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things where if you guys watch the Spielberg documentary that I think was on HBO, I have his life. Okay. If you've watched that, so. you know a lot of the story in the Fablemans, and it plays some things like a surprise <laughs> that you already know from watching the documentary. Um, because it's a, he oh, said yeah. it's semi-autobiographical. I'm like, it's pretty, mm. it's pretty spot on, Stephen. <laughs> like, especially <laughs> the, the earlier stuff. I think it goes, I think it veers off later in the movie he changes a couple things for dramatic effect which i understand because it's easier to tell the story that way um, one thing i've learned is that when a director says semi-biographical that's usually <laughs> bullshit like yeah it's like honest. he moved to arizona yeah that happened in real life then he moved to california that happened his dad were computers yeah his mom was like a musician artist type kind of free spirit uh-huh they look like his parents <laughs> this kid likes movies i just called him little spielberg i think his name's um <laughs> I think his name's Sammy. I think I, I'm blanking on the kid's name because I kept calling him Little Spielberg. I was like, "That's who that is." And Seth Rogen plays his uncle, who kind of pushes him into huh. like movies. He's really good. It's a really good Seth Rogen performance. Um, a lot of people seem split on Paul Dano and Michelle Williams as his parents. Like I've seen people, especially Michelle Williams, because she is a little bit over the top. But from the documentary. That seems to be what his mom was like. This is like how I imagined his mom being from the documentary. She was a very like free spirit artist. She bought a monkey randomly, which happens in the movie, which I think also happened in real life. (laughs) Like she's just (laughs) doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Like she she was not a great like homemaker. You know, that's what he said. She wasn't like, that's not what she wanted to do. Um, There's a lot of drama between his parents, like family drama, because they're very different types of people. The dad's very like, it's a computer guy. He's you know, the ones and zeros. And the mom's like, what if we just dance in the field? You know, it's like, they're not like, you know, and the whole movie is like, it's him getting into movies as a kid. Um, it's his parents and how, how they kind of, their marriage kind of, it kind of falls apart. I mean, there's always like the, how that goes. Um, it's really well like made by him. It's the kind of movie like, you know it's he doesn't need to really show off in this kind of movie it's a little family drama but it's like there's some fancy spielberg type stuff i was like okay i see you steven uh so he's like (laughs) he um it's it's really good i was really into it i wish it hit a little harder with the emotional stuff near the end and maybe Hmm. i don't know i felt like maybe he pulled his punches a little bit i don't know like or maybe because i knew the story i kind of knew where it was already headed and it didn't hit as hard um also, it's very interesting because if you know the real story, uh, he kind of, I think, lets his mom. <laughs> how do I say this? That's uh, I don't even say it. He. It's funny how he views his parents now, knowing mm. what happened with his parents. I'll just say that. Like, I think mm. it's very interesting to watch somebody tell the story of their parents and how they view them years later after th- certain things happen. Because you hear him talk about doc- documentary and you see this movie. And you're like, okay, you're you're working some stuff out. So it's, but it's it's really good. I liked everybody in it was good. I mean, it's just just a good movie. And I feel bad it's not doing very well. I don't think. I don't know if it's even rolled out everywhere, like fully yet. But like, it's in my area. I'm I'm I've been meaning to check it out. There's a there's a there's a there's a couple. There's like two or three movies right now. I'm like, man, I'm really dying to see that. And it's like a toss up between those three. Oh yeah, I think it's one of them. It's been busy. I had to, the other thing I had to catch because 
so yeah, I'll, I'll just say Fable Moons was great. I highly recommend it. Um, the other thing I had to rush to catch that same weekend because it would be gone after a week was Glass Onion, the Knives mm. Out sequel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Preston's so excited right now. Um, I love Glass <laughs> Onion too. I think I still like Knives Out a little more. Um, maybe there was like more novelty to that, like how he's going to spin a mystery. But like th- this one is still so much fun. Um, the cast is really fun. Uh, it's everyone's having a blast. I feel like it's um, he's assembled another really good ensemble cast for this. Um, it's another twisty mystery that does not quite go how you'd imagine it to go <laughs> um had me yeah. fold a couple times i was like i didn't see that coming um and i thought i had it and then i was like nope they got me <laughs> so that's always fun um batista's really great he's really funny you know who really surprised me in this kate hudson who i haven't seen a lot of stuff yeah and she's she was like great. when was the last time i saw her I, in something i know i was like where have you been <laughs> like and I thought it was funny because I looked her up and I'm like, man, you started off so young because I was like, how old is Kate Hudson? She's only like barely 40, I think. But she's been working for so long since like almost famous and probably for that. But like she's kind of the sneaky MVP because she was really funny uh, in the movie. And I'm like, where have you been? Like, <laughs> you're really good at this. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's it was like the weird thing Netflix did where they put it out in theaters for a week and they didn't even put it out like everywhere. They put it in, in like 600 ish theaters because they don't like to make money, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, I don't know <laughs> Netflix's business model. I guess it involves, no, no, we don't want to make 60 million. We'll just make 15 and we'll leave. Like, people were saying they left possibly like $60 million on the table. If I think if they just opened it like to wide, like everywhere for one week. Sure. Yeah. But like, the fact it's that perfect because they... it's the holiday season. Yeah, and yeah. The, people would have the first one did so well during that it's that crazy. Thanksgiving, early Christmas, the time like, of year. Yeah, yeah, and like it made a good amount of money for only being in like six hundred theaters for a week. I think it made like fifteen million dollars. But yeah, I think I saw if it just played in like three thousand theaters for a week, it would make like sixty million. Um, and if it kept plenty of play for like three weeks, could have made a bunch of money. Um, because I don't understand Netflix's model is like okay, you have all these subscribers, like. They're already there. Like, you don't pay extra to watch Glass Onion. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's there. How many people do they think don't have Netflix that will sign up for Netflix? They could easily just sell the tickets to the movie in the theater for like three weeks, take it out. It'll be there for, it's coming out Christmas on Netflix. Sure. And then, you know, people are going to still watch it because you're at home with your family. It's like, well, we can all watch this. It's like, it's a mystery. Like, you know, There's I feel no like counter programming with. The Knives yeah. Out movies. It's very much like it's not yeah. like all right, guys watch war movies, girls watch the like. There's none of that. It's like it's very. It doesn't feel four quadrant. I feel like, but like it. it it's not the Marvel formula. It's yeah, yeah. This is that, but it, it plays to I think all. It plays to everybody. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's like I remember when Knives Out came out. I was telling everybody like I knew to go see it, and like I felt safe recommending it to like everybody I knew because I figured it would please most people because it's like just a fun mystery thriller like my parents would go see it like and they don't go to the movies very much and they were like oh we love knives out thanks for telling us like so they'll watch glass onion at home like so i just don't understand this thing of like you could have made millions and millions of dollars and still had it on netflix in a month and people Mm -hmm. still would have watched it like i just don't (laughs) i don't get this idea and they paid so much money to ryan johnson for these movies like yeah it's no wonder they're struggling (laughs) like 
oh god don't get me started there's just i just don't understand how they operate but um <laughs> but it was yeah it was a blast as i expected um and i've lived with knives out longer which is maybe why i like it a little more but um but i think last time will definitely play to repeated viewings because it's one of those things where you'll see it and then you'll think oh that's what's going on and then you know like you'll be able to, it'll play even maybe better on a second viewing i don't know but um it was great but yeah i had to rush to catch that <laughs> and like so um those were like almost back-to-back days. That was good days of the movies was Table Mins and Glass Onion. So um why do they all come out at the same time? <laughs> it's like all the movies no. come out at the same time and then they all leave at the same time. Why? I know yeah. it's that award season push is what is part of the problem. You're killing me. I, I didn't know, make I it to the theater for anything recently. And it's like they are all at the same time. I, I think. Yeah. I think it's the awards push too. So I have- Yeah, it's a, gotta a, be. It's the awards push and the fact that so many movies are, are going right out of the theaters to go to VOD. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a big awards movie I saw um, a month ago um, that it was it was out of, it felt like it was out of theaters for like a, a couple of weeks later uh, to make way. And I think it's about to be on VOD. I think it, it actually is on VOD um, as of this week, but uh, which, which, is, which is distressing just for, um kind of the the financial success of those movies i don't think of everything in terms of money movie wise but you know with with glass onion like i feel like i echo everything matt was saying my theory with that though i feel like had it not been ryan johnson like if ryan johnson was kind of like a a tarantino type filmmaker in terms of his persona like or a christopher nolan rather that's probably a better comparison where he's like, this needs to be in the theater. Like, you know, like, fuck what you're saying. I don't care about your model. This <laughs> mm-hmm. needs to be in the, in the theater. And Ryan Johnson has um, uh, a reputation for being a very nice guy. Um, probably, perhaps, I mean, maybe arguably too nice, perhaps. I mean, Carrie Fisher, I think before she passed away, um, when they worked together in The Last Jedi, she was like, she, he's like the one nice guy I've ever worked with because, you know, Carrie Fisher's <laughs> going to have that humor to her. But um yeah, like I'm glad you like the movie, Matt. I I love the film. It's actually um, my favorite of the year, um, oh, wow. personally. And Knives Out was as well <clears throat> the year that mm-hmm. came out. And I'm 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 just I've I've been a, a big fan of Ryan Johnson's crime films for a long time. Um, one of back when um, the same time I watched the movie that we're going to be talking about in a little bit. Um, <laughs> around that same time, one of the hipster friends I had in high school, he. <laughs> He, he was like, dude, have you heard of this guy? Have you heard of this movie called Brick? And I'm like, what the hell is that? Um, and um, he passed me DVDs of Brick and a really crappy DVD of uh, The Brothers Bloom, Ryan Johnson's first. Because at the time, this is b- before Loopers. So these were the only Johnson oh, yeah, movies yeah. that come out. And I, I watched them both at home and I instantly fell in love with them. And ever since then, it's been a ride for me to see him become the occasionally divisive wink wink uh director that he is today <laughs> the powerhouse that he is um and uh, i love all of his crime films i, I you know and and glass Lightning was no exception um I, I think what's brilliant about it is that it takes the and forgive me for talking too much matt i'm so sorry um no, you're fine <laughs> <laughs> but i think what's cool about the movie is that um instead of doing like the all, all family in one house thing that the first one was this one, he's going to the type of Agatha Christie type story where it's a rich guy inviting a bunch of people to 
the big the big mansion, the big lair. It's that the big island, that kind of thing. Usually, with those kinds of things, the the detective in question is treated like a messiah of sorts or a hero. Like, oh, you're the most famous guy. You're you're this. You're that. You get a little bit of this of that in this movie, but more of it is is the almost awkwardly funny juxtaposition between Benoit Blanc and being around all these rich socialites, being around all of these people who um, are used to living in a certain manner and Benoit Blanc's matter of fact, fact attitude is, um, is, 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 super, is super opposing to all of them in, in a really cute way, I thought. Um, and in classic fashion, it goes from one mystery to several um in the, mm-hmm. sometimes in the same <laughs> the same scene um because it's ryan johnson um i do agree with you i don't think it's it's quite as strong as knives out but i do think it's one of his best films and i think if you are a fan of johnson in general uh, or just a fan of knives out even i think uh um i think the the cast is 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 delivers i think the script delivers and uh it's it's beautifully shot as well like the money the money is on screen which oh, makes yeah. it even sadder that people <laughs> people can't see in the theaters like, like we experienced because man like there there were shots that reminded me of like like an 80s Perot um Perot movie of just like man like these the like the water even like the the sea like just gorgeous gorgeous film so yeah I highly recommend it yeah people I we complain about Netflix movies kind of looking kind of the same or kind of like not that great but this looks really good like a real movie yeah, <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better term like uh you know it's it's very i was like wow this looks really well made like he spent he took that money and he spent it well so good job like because did they pay him like 200 million dollars for these sequels or something like yeah and i think a lot of that's the cast to be honest because i mean it, the cinematographer yeah, it's <laughs> um, yeah the cinematographer they've worked together since brick like he's done all of ryan johnson's movies up until this point, oh wow so. and i and i love brick when you saw my brick earlier like Brick was one of those movies I found like it was like 18, I think, when it came out. And I was like, oh, this feels weird and special because like the weird little indie movie. I think I found it on TV and I was like, why the fuck are these kids talking like this? <laughs> I was like, I was like, what is this? It was all like it's a 1940s Hetchup movie. And uh I was so drawn in by what was going on. I was like, what is this? And then like ever since then he's been on my radar. And uh yeah, he does he does a good mystery, I will say. That's probably his his bread and butter at this point. So Oh, definitely, definitely. Um but yeah, I'm glad you liked it too. I forgot that I think I'd seen that you logged it or talked about it or something. But, um, but yeah, I think Christmas comes. Everyone's gonna be having a good time watching that with their families. So, um, highly recommend it. It's really good. Sure. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Good. I hope you like it. Did you Did you like Knives Out? I did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it. if you like Knives Out, there's no way you could like hate this out. You know, you'd be like, maybe I like it a little yeah. less, but like they're very similar in tone and feel and all that. So, um. Okay, uh, I guess, speaking of crime movies, and yes. <laughs> I'll, we could talk about Jackie Brown, a movie I can't believe is about to be 25 years old, because <laughs> that just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And <laughs> it's like, the no. math checks out. The 90s were like seven years ago, right? What happened? No, <laughs> like, no, the math checks uh, out, as no, disconcerting as that may be. It's, it's rough. <laughs> Trying to Everybody make... in this movie loves to point out that that Jackie Brown is a 44 year old woman and watching rewatching the film again, ahead of our discussion and saying, mm, I'm a woman in her forties now. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, the math checks out. It's it's yeah. real. The way they talk <laughs> about her being 44, like she's at the end of her life, like she should be in hospice care. I'm like, she's 44. <laughs> like she's not that old. And she looks amazing. Like we talk about that a lot. Like Pam Greer, I think in real life, only a couple years older than 44 at the time, maybe like 46, 47. Um, yeah. Looks great still. Like, um, yeah, the way the guy, Michael Bowen talks to her about like, eh, what other job can you get for this? Like you're 44, you're the end of your end of the, your line, basically. I was like, she's not going to die. <laughs> like, no. I, and I, I, I think, I think in general society has come a little ways around yes, this kind of yeah. thing, but there is, let me let me say this. There's there. I don't want to jump too far ahead or jump too deep into this before we get going. But there is something that's very true about you know you reach these certain points in your life and there's like transition and you're thinking about what's behind you and you're thinking about what's ahead of you and mm. and there's a line that Jackie says that she feels like she's always starting over. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's something that a lot of people feel and it feels very different when you've been doing that for decades and then you find yourself again in middle age and you're going like, like, what, what do I have to offer? What do I want out of life? Like it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. It's complicated. <laughs> I know I understand we'll get into it like it <laughs> played differently every time I've watched it, this movie it and I think I feel like I've watched it like 15 25 now 35 it's played differently every time a couple times in between but I know I've watched it like at those kind of sections and it gets better every time for me this again time I watch it best it's ever played uh moved it up one in my tarantino ranking which we'll do at the end of the show <laughs> but Ooh, okay. it moved up above something else it was like all right and i will i'll just start off i don't know i, I couldn't have this conversation could be so go so many ways but like <laughs> i first saw jackie brown so i was into reservoir dogs and pulp fiction uh, huge I, people with this podcast they know like pulp fiction's my favorite movie i saw those two movies like basically very close together, same week or something. And I was like, oh my God, I want to make movies. Tarantino's my favorite director. And then I find out, but this is the gap between 97 and 03. So there's no right. Kill Bill yet. So I'm like, oh, but he has this other movie. I saw from Dustful Dawn because he had, you know, but I was like, That's oh, six years too. Like that. Gap. Oh, six years. I think it's yeah. his biggest gap. I think it is. It is. Yeah. And um, I'm like, oh, there's Jackie Brown. I should see Jackie Brown. And <laughs> I had a, a memorable first <laughs> viewing of Jackie Brown because I rented the DVD. I was all excited. I was like, oh, a Tarantino I haven't seen. Uh, and we had a hurricane coming toward us at oh. this time. So I rented a couple <laughs> movies, Jackie Brown being one of them. And I, I'll tell you, in Virginia, though, we don't sweat hurricanes. Like, you got to be a category like four or five for us to care. Otherwise, we're like, hurricane party. Woo! Like, we just don't care. <laughs> like, um, two inches of snow, school shut down. Hurricane, eh, we'll be fine. Uh, like, but so we're like, eh, get some pizza, get some movies, hurricane, we'll ride it out. And um, I'm watching Jackie Brown. I don't know. I think I get about to the part where uh, Pam Greer's walking out of prison um, and the power goes out <laughs> completely. <gasps> and I will tell you before that, though, I was not that into the movie. I remember thinking like, oh, I'm not really enjoying this that much. Keep in mind, I'm like 15. So sure. I'm like, I'm right. like, this is not what I want from a Tarantino movie. 
and the power and like the power goes out for two days we don't have power i think it might even be longer than that two full days no power uh in the middle of like august it's terrible and, and like then when we finally have power back i'm like i guess i should finish jackie brown <laughs> and <that> point, <laughs> it's like i'm not that into it it's been two days of a gap in between this movie and i finished it and i was like huh like that was it like, i was so I was very disappointed at 15 of this movie because it was just not what I wanted. Because first of all, dogs and Pulp Fiction are so in your face might be the wrong word, but they're more. No, just... I think that's <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's apt. You know? Okay, <laughs> there's so much more like aggressive repair to Jackie Brown. Like there's so much more in your face, and 15 on me was just not having Jackie Brown. I was like, I don't get this. I was ba- I knew who Pam Grew was, but I was not like. I didn't see any of the Pam Grimm movies, I think. So I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, Pam Grimm's cool, but yeah. And like, didn't know Robert Forrester was. <laughs> it was just like. Wait, had you seen, I'm curious, had you seen Bogus Journey by that point with Pam Grimm? No, I didn't, I didn't see Bogus Journey till like a few years ago. Okay, okay. Yeah, just curious. it was way late on Bogus <laughs> Journey. Uh, so, um, but yeah, nothing really clicked that well for me. It was like some of the Sam Jackson stuff. But like, cause he's, you know, he's always great and he pops, but like, I was like, I don't even get this movie. I was like, I don't know why he made this. I was like, this is, I was like, <laughs> this is his follow-up to Pulp Fiction. And now it plays completely differently because I'm like, what a good idea. Cause you know, you can't top Pulp Fiction because you won the Palm door. You made like over a hundred million dollars on this little indie movie. You change 90s movies because everybody want to make some kind of Pulp Fiction ripoff <laughs> like you can't do that again you, you, you I think he knew and I think I heard him say his interviews he was like I knew I couldn't top Pulp Fiction so he's like I went a different direction and made Jackie Brown and now I look at it and I'm like yeah good job this was a good idea because uh it's it's wonderful and it's got to be his most like sweet and like low-key movie he's ever made like I'm almost impressed by because he always calls it a hangout movie and it really is like because it's so low key. Even the the thing at the end, the money exchange at the end is like pretty like lo fi type of thing. It's not like overly complicated. It's not like overly you're switching bags in a mall. Like it's like the locations aren't that elaborate. Like it's just a very like low key movie, which I'm sure nobody wanted in 97 because they were like, blow us away again, Tarantino, like we're ready. And then he's like, eh, here's this. You know, they're like, what? Like, um, I wasn't, I was only 10. So I didn't see it in 97. I wasn't really aware of it. Um, but I imagine the reception was like, he gave us this two and a half hour, like hangout movie. Um, we don't get it. Um, and didn't make a lot of money. It made nowhere near the amount of money, Pulp Fiction. So yeah. And we'll go more into it, but yeah, every time I've watched it as I get older, I think too, it plays better and better and better. And, I also think, I'll, this I'll throw back to you guys, but I feel like this is the Tarantino move for people who don't like or don't think they like Tarantino. Because I think it plays very differently than mm. anything else he's made. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was probably the closest thing because there's like a sweetness to that at certain points. Sure. But this is like, I was almost shocked at how like romantic and sweet this is at certain points. Like, it's just, it's no, like what am I, crazy. What am I so yeah. Friends. <laughs> it's funny you say that last part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because one of my closest friends, like she does not dig Tarantino at all. Like even stuff he writes, she cannot stand, but her two favorites are <laughs> this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I, I yeah. find that interesting. 
they they feel the closest to me of anything he's done because everything else like this time i think i was struck by how much jackie brown doesn't feel like his other movies like mm. it feels very different to me um in there's a good a clear, way i mean there's one very clear reason why oh i'm gonna i want to know that he jumped <laughs> that it's an adaptation of a book That's, and it's the truth. only adaptation he's ever done has anyone actually read rum punch by the way i have not no i, have I haven't not. either i thought somebody here might have us covered Um, but i think that tells you something this is true this is true Um, it tells you something there's (laughs) for me re-watching jackie brown i'm really struck with how mature of a film it is yes and that's and that's i'm not i'm not saying that to dig to as a dig or a diss on the other stuff, I'm not trying to say the other stuff is immature, not what I'm saying, but Jackie Brown is. It's written by, it's, it's, it's the product of someone who is significantly older than Tarantino was at this time that he was making it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's got a more subdued quality. It's kind of reined in. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, I did see this in the theater in 97. I was hoping you had, because I wanted your take on this. I did. So so I had first, uh, my first Tarantino was Pulp Fiction, which I fell in love with and really became obsessed with. We were obsessed. <laughs> and so then it was like, okay, we have to go back and watch Reservoir Dogs, did that, mm-hmm. obsessed. What, so when Jackie Brown came out, I was like, ooh, I can go see a Tarantino. Like now I know who Tarantino is and I'm obsessed with these other films. I get my chance to go and see a Tarantino film in the theater. And and I, I liked Jackie Brown out the gate. Mm-hmm. I was already a little familiar with Pam Greer and a lot of like the music. I already was familiar with the music on the soundtrack. This was stuff that we listened to in my hometown. Like, so there was, and I liked the, I don't know, like just the whole vibe of it was very cool, but it was more reined in, not as aggressive. And so although we liked it, it was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch Jackie Brown and we would rent it periodically. Mm-hmm. But we we didn't have that like rabid fanboy reaction that we had had to the previous films. And I think it's in part because Jackie Brown is this kind of more chill, mature story. And, and so although we all liked it, we weren't like head over heels, losing our minds over it. (laughs) And it was subsequent viewings that every time I watched it, it would kind of, uh, my esteem for it would grow and grow and grow. And we'll, I mean, we'll, when we get to the rankings, we'll talk more about where it sits for me currently. But yeah, I think this film is one that there's so much to appreciate about it. But it's not as it's not as in your face or over the top as some of the other. It, it, there's style to it. And there's definitely Tarantino style is present here. 
but it's, it's a little more, I don't even know how to put it in words, which is silly. Cause we're, this is a podcast. So I had to put it in words. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just a little more like, I feel like it's got all the good stuff. And even though it is over two hours long, it doesn't have a lot of superfluous scenes, even though it is a lot of hanging out, all of the scenes are very meaningful. Mm. It's just, I don't know. I think this this is the kind of film that I would always encourage people, go back and rewatch this. Like yeah. it's, yeah. you know, it because it isn't the thing that shouts in your face. It's this one creeps up on you. Can I ask you something, Carmelita, along mm -hmm. those lines? So you mentioned like how your esteem's grown for it, you know, over the years. And I was curious, what is it like for you personally to see how this movie has, because it, it sounds like a lot of people shared your more tepid reaction to it upon first release. And, and now, especially if you're clued in like on, in the online film community, it's like, oh yeah, we love Jackie Brown. Like some say it's their favorite film, his filmography, if not his best film. Um, so I'm curious, what's that been like for you to watch other people's esteem for it grow? It's been really cool. It's especially because it's like, you know, when Tarantino first came out, he had that indie kind of raw quality about him like Punk he was like, on the outside mm -hmm. of the industry and he was mm -hmm. you know everyone knew he was a film lover and he championed black exploitation and westerns and like we all knew like he's into all the stuff that other film people are into and you know but over the years he got bigger budgets he took his his stuff in different directions and, and even with some of the later films, like, like you can see more of a through line between those and something like Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. Jackie Brown kind of stands out. And I think because it's a quieter film, it doesn't get talked about as much. It's less controversial than, than a lot of his <laughs> other films. So yeah. controversy. <laughs> It's something people love to talk about. Something that's less controversial isn't going to get as much discussion. But I love how over the years when Tarantino's filmography comes up, I've been hearing more and more people talk about it being their favorite Tarantino film. And that just warms my heart. I love that <laughs> because I think there's I think there's so much to love about this film and it's and because it's not as uh sensationalized maybe. yes oh that's yeah, yeah. good word it's, <laughs> it's easy for something like this to kind of get thrown on the back burner and so i'm it, it really warms my heart that people have taken to this and that i it will continue to endure and i think that's one of the beautiful things it's like 50 years from now the controversy will be forgotten unless people go and read biographies or film criticism books those controversies will be forgotten what will endure in his work and i i would love to see this film endure and this be one that 50 years ago you know 50 years from now people are talking about because it's 
it's just a really beautiful film. I, I agree. Uh, Preston, I feel like we haven't heard too much from you yet. I feel like <laughs> I want to let you speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Y'all all y'all both talked about how y'all came to the film. And um, uh, I, I think it's very interesting because, <clears throat> so I'll say this right now, like my first Tarantino was actually Kill Bill, like both, both mm. Kill Bills. And uh, I came up around the time of like Kill Bill and Grindhouse when he was really, when him and Rodriguez were really heavy in their, I call it their geek era. And <laughs> perhaps to an extent, neither of them um, really grew out of that, depending on who you ask. But um, I mean, when because I, I was like, goodness, like back in those years, I, I from like 11 to like 15, like we already knew who Tarantino was, we already knew what Robert Rodriguez was. And being from Texas, Robert Rodriguez is, is, is a big name here. So like it had a lot going for it. And I remember seeing Kill Bill <laughs> Um, volume one uh, on like HBO one day um, uh, during like its first run and and I was just taken aback by um, the style of it the the kitsch value of it the fact that it had so many spaces of people just talking um, while ten like and now that I'm older I'm like okay now I, I get that that's building tension and yada yada film speak but back then I was like, ooh, action, blood, Uma Thurman, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I remember one of my brother's DVDs, like he had a DVD of Jackie Brown. Like he had the, cause um, if, uh, if for anyone listening who doesn't remember, there used to be like a two disc set where it came with like the posters. So he had the, the Jackie Brown poster in his room. Mm. So I kind of grew up <laughs> with that image in my head and my mom, um, came up in the black exploitation era, so we we being a from coming from a black family, we were, we already were familiar with Pam Greer. I saw her movies Coffee and Foxy Brown when I was way too young, way too young. <laughs> and so I was a curious, you know, um, younger brother. Like I was, I was a pain in my in my brother's side. So um, while he was away doing something, like one day I watched Jackie Brown when I was about 13, four, no later than fourteen for sure. And it's weird because, I, so my relationship with this movie is unique because the first time I saw this movie, and this is before I saw Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, I really enjoyed it. Like I, and I can't explain why necessarily, why that, why on that initial viewing it connected to Teenage Preston, but I think for, for a couple of reasons. I think one, the exploitation vibes, the fact that a lot of the music on the soundtrack spoke to the music I grew up with in my youth um, that my parents passed down to me. So that was, the vibe was was there. Um, and it kind of felt like an old movie, like it was more dialogue driven than it was action driven. Like it definitely mm -hmm. was not Kill Bill or, or Death Proof. Um, um, and I think the biggest thing for me though was the fact that I had, I had seen quite a bit of heist films in, by that point in my life, like Ocean's Eleven is like my favorite film of all time. Um, and, and so I just wanted to get on any heist movie I could. And what got me about Jackie Brown was that as Carmelita, I think said earlier, it kind of has a fatalism to it with the amount of people talk about age and how ageism is a theme of the film. But the way the movie absolves the heroes of all that stuff and the way that the movie is bathing in their extended 
realizations that age in a lot of ways is just a number and it's kind of a soft release like that the way it concludes especially is very antithetical to most heist movies even um even the ones that you know that that Soderbergh was making from the 90s on so it's interesting because most of the kind of the the major crime classics um from the 90s you know if it's not Goodfellas or Heat they're usually made by Tarantino or Soderbergh and um I I did see Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction right after but I maybe it was also because like it was at the high of my film hipster days but whenever people would tell me Brown's boring I'm like well dude I would literally hate, go home and like hate watch the movie for them and like, <laughs> they're wrong. they don't understand this you're like I'll show them I'll watch Jackie Brown again <laughs> yeah right and I was like you kill every last motherfucker in the room like you can't yeah just just great you know um oh. but the as I've gotten older and um I don't say this to age you guys, but like since oh I am boy. young, <laughs> since I am like I am double that age now that I nearly double that age that I first saw the film, the movie's taken on much different meanings to me. And the more I learn about myself, my own life, and honestly, the more I learn about film in general, especially from pundits like yourselves. Um, it's it, it's it's become not just my favorite Tarantino movie to kind of spoil I guess I, I can't hide it it is my favorite <laughs> that's okay I, I knew it would come up talking about it so he's got the rest of it's the, the surprises too. oh my god <laughs> I, I see I love that <laughs> it's not <laughs> mine but it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's close uh ish <laughs> it's not that good no no I mean, it is really good hit uh, the ranking is hard because to me I'm a fanboy, so I feel like everything has been some level of great, basically. To me, it's like, that's why it's hard to rank them. I'm like, oh, I feel so bad putting this at, you know, the bo- almost the bottom, even though I think it's a great movie. Um, but I was just to tell people, like, we won't all have Jackie Brown as their favorite. <laughs> but I knew talking about it, there's no way you guys could not mention that it's your favorite. So, um, and do you, do you think it's, like, what do you... It, Ah, boy, how do I answer this question? So Tarantino overall, do you both think you like Tarantino overall? Or are you like, would you call yourself big fans? You're like, I kind of like him. Like, what's your, where's your stance on him overall? <laughs> I'm curious about. Do you mind if I go first, Carmelita? No, please go first. I'm trying to... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, would, I would call myself a big fan. Um, out, of, out, of every, out of any filmmaker, there's only a couple um, of his contemporaries that, I, that kind of would... would hold that title but he is arguably the most influential filmmaker on my come up um and I think we I think I mentioned it a little bit when you and I talked for the first time about the guest Matt um earlier this year where um that film reminds me of it's a to me the guest is like a Tarantino like a later day Tarantino movie if they were if Tarantino was 10 years younger because what gets me about the guest is it's kind of a Kill Bill riff on um, the types of movies that that those filmmakers grew up with. And I love that about Tarantino. I love that after this movie, after the almost mixed reception of this film forced him to go into a six-year hiatus and become a very different <laughs> filmmaker yeah, yeah. in a lot of ways. Like that's the Tarantino that I, I grew up with. And so I've I've spent a lot of my 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 adolescence and even a little bit of my adulthood like 
defending a lot of his movies from dissenters and and those kinds of things. (laughs) 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 But the 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 older I get, the more I I really appreciate all players of Tarantino as much as and the older I get, like I again I rewatched Pulp Fiction um, just just last night after I finished Jackie Brown, and that's a film that grows on me um, uh, the more I watch it as well. So um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely a fan. There's there's but I don't have a favorite Tarantino era. I definitely I feel like I have a favorite from each era. If that makes sense. But no, that makes sense. He's got like three distinct eras, I guess. I don't know, like. Once my time in Hollywood, I'm like, mm. where does that fit? And what's I'm very curious what's going to be the last movie. If he's sticking to the whole 10 movie thing, he's got one more. And I just heard him say somewhere, because he promoted that book of his, that he has no idea what the 10th movie is. He hasn't written it. He said he has no ideas. So I'm like, that's interesting that you have like no even clue where you're going to end up. But like, because it feels like Once on Hollywood probably should have been his last movie. On When I saw this, I'm like, this would have been a perfect like ending your career with how this movie ends. But He's not doing that. So I'm curious, but, but yeah, there's three, like I would say distinct periods and they kind of break up into the nineties, two thousands, 2010s, really. Glorious yeah. Bastards kind of mm. is 09 kind of gets, but yeah, like, yeah, it's and, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I know I, I want Carmelita to say her piece as well, <laughs> but I'll, I just, to get this thought you, out. That's what you say now. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait to hear this. <laughs> well, I was going to say just, briefly to Matt's point of like there being three distinct eras I think too the thing that has always resonated with me about Jackie Brown and I think I've finally been able to put it in the words these past couple of viewings because I've watched it three times this year I literally looked down a letterbox and I was like wow I've literally (laughs) watched this thing three times this year alone goodness um I would argue that this is his first western and Yes, he's made other Westerns like Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, but the thing about Jackie Brown that I find so interesting is that it's his first movie where he's doing a 90s crime film. It's his last crime film that he directed from the decade. And instead of aging cowboys, it's aging criminals and thieves. And the world isn't lawless like the Old West, like a Howard Hawks movie or something like that, but it, it, the laws are not in Jackie's favor. And it's interesting to me that after this, he makes these, um, these, these high concept genre movies, these revenge fantasies, if you will, that function more as meta films in a way about the genres they're inhabiting rather mm. than just being the genre. And I think what's cool about Once Upon a Time and why I would argue that that's kind of the um, depending on who you are, it's it's the last film of his current era. For me, I, I think it's the beginning of a new one for him, um, depending on how the next one goes, because I think that that in and of itself is a Western. And it took me my second viewing to really realize that. And once I did, that's when I finally fell in love with the film, um, that specific film. And so I just had to get that thought out. But I, I think to your point, Matt, there's there's a lot to go off of between this film and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how he's kind of run the gamut of being this like cheeky meta filmmaker, like almost like as a, as a response to people not knowing how to take the anti-Reservoir Dog side of him. And now he's just all in on this is who I am and this is who I'm selling in to be, so. Yeah, no, that was very well said. I, 
I got to hear Carmelita's thoughts on Tarantino because I feel like <laughs> she teased it up. The faces she's making, I feel so, like she's about to unleash some stuff. I'm excited. I'm, I'm gonna use. <laughs> I'm going to use a romantic relationship metaphor. Okay. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's the best way to, because I have struggled with this. I have had to check in with myself over the years about mm -hmm. where am I at with Tarantino? And I think, so it's a lot like, like a romantic relationship when you're young or a really close friendship when you're young, where you're like, there's like these big highs and you're like so obsessed with this person and you can't get enough of them. And you're like living in their pocket. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> where you hang on their every word and, and you just eat it up. Everything they say, everything they do. And you just want, to like live in their head, like, and then inevitably, <laughs> and not because it was bad and not because they're bad or you're bad. Nobody's at fault. Nobody's wrong. But you just naturally start growing in different directions. And, and you wish them well, you want them to be happy. If you run mm -hmm. into them at the supermarket 20 years later, you're happy to see them and you want to hear <laughs> all about their spouse and their kids and they look great and you're happy for them. And you like, man, it was, I'm so thankful for the time we had together. I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> where things have like, moved in these oh, different directions and yeah. not because and, and not because anybody not because anybody did anything wrong but just because that's just how we want different things out of life mm -hmm. that's kind of how it's been for me with tarantino so like i mentioned at the top when i first saw pulp fiction like i was a we were obsessed 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 and Felt very strongly, loved Reservoir Dogs, mm -hmm. really liked Jackie Brown at that time. Kill Bill, liked Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. But even at Kill Bill, I was starting to go like, I wonder what he's going to, like, I wonder what direction he's going in. Because here's the thing. An artist is not going to paint the same portrait over and over and over again, or make the same album over and over and over again you can't make the same movie over and over and over again That's so true, i think yeah. i i always knew like he's not going to keep making pulp fiction right <laughs> i don't want him to keep making pulp fiction mm -hmm. like the man definitely he's an artist of his craft so i always knew like he's gonna have to go and and do something else something new mm -hmm. something fresh but it was right around death proof that like I saw death proof and I was like, oh, I'm not really feeling it, mm. but, but I was like, okay, okay. It's, but it's, it's fine. It's fine. And at that point I still would have said Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite directors. Cause I mm. felt so strongly about that first, that early work, that first era of Tarantino. Mm -hmm. And then he started 
making the historic alternate history revenge fantasy stuff. Man, <laughs> I I was out. I it's, wanted yeah. no part of that. I wanted no part of it. I was not. I would see the trailer and I was like, I'm not even gonna go see this. Like it's not Reservoir Dogs. Like it's this not is not for fiction. no, but it, it's not. Like it, and it wasn't that it that it didn't resemble his earlier work. It was like, I'm not interested in this type of story. Oh, okay, mm, okay, okay. okay. I, I see. It's so funny because I love that stuff. I hate <laughs> it. I can't stand it. I. <laughs> it's I'm such I a history buff, it. and then when he does Glorious Bastards. I'm like, holy shit! He really I'm, did that. I, I mean, I we'll talk. We'll talk <laughs> yeah. about that. I'm sure. <laughs> I did not expect that movie to end up where it ends up because I'm like, I, I wanted no part of it. I wanted no part of it. I was. Just he just not made his masterpiece. <laughs> I was not interested at all. And and mm. then I I came back. I came back for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I was interested in that time period. And. And the tr the trailer intrigued me, and I was on board until that final sequence. Oh, I, mm, okay. I was so I, relieved in that final. I was sequence. pissed. Oh. <laughs> I was pissed. I was like, <laughs> I should have known you were gonna do this. I should have known you were gonna do this. So, I've been through a journey. In, in trying to process my relationship with oh, Quentin Tarantino's man. work. So oh, I would say overall, I respect the hell out of this man's craft. Mm -hmm. He is an artist. He is a fantastic director. There is no question about that. And, and as I was preparing for this and watching some of the films that I had been avoiding, there is no <laughs> doubt you can see the evolution of, of like his technical ability. Yeah. I was gonna and say how gorgeous some of these films are even if i'm not interested in the story he's telling or the way he's telling it there can be no doubt that this man is so talented and good at what he does so i would still say overall i respect the hell out of quentin tarantino and i'm a big fan of his early work mm-hmm but I th I think we've just grown in different directions. <laughs> you don't wish ill of him. You're just like, no. listen, you're doing your thing. I'm doing and my I thing. I get why other people are still on the train. You know what I mean? Right, like, I right. get it. It's yeah. a personal taste thing. About like the because he went so far in the revenge fantasy direction. And I just don't like that those type of stories period doesn't matter who's okay. directing it so that's kind of the thing that happened for me was that he just started making movies with the types of stories that don't appeal to me you're like blood squibs i'm out like nobody's, nobody's, <laughs> fault. nobody's fault i, I just, was like and this is so funny because i feel like this might be the farthest apart Carmelita and I have ever been on a topic because yeah. I loved I was like giddy at the end of Glorious Bastards I was like yeah <laughs> I was like and the the detail what they show I was like yeah again and then like I was so happy and relieved at how Once Upon a Time Hollywood resolves because I didn't want to see kind of spoilers for that movie but I didn't want to see the real thing because I know yeah. that happened and I don't want to see it on screen because it's a horrible thing anyway I was like let's then don't 
put the Manson family in the movie? Why are they I, I even in it. the movie? Weird. You know no, what? Tell me. Tell me. We- why are they in the movie? I, I think I get it. I think. <laughs> okay. From my perspective. No, maybe- I really want to know. I really want to know. <laughs> I really and do. I don't even know. I don't know his answer to this. You guys know me. Hound for justice. <laughs> I feel like if I was making a movie and I have an opportunity to, in the movie, kill off these real people who didn't really get, you know, I get their, you know, they didn't get their, what's the word? Comeuppance. I'd be like, uh-huh. great. Like, cool. I can write this wrong <laughs> in a movie. I can get justice like in a movie because this can, anything can happen here. It's not real. It's a movie, even though we're based off a real event. Like, so I don't know if he did that because he's fascinated with the Manson family, but he also was know. maybe mad at them for what <laughs> they did. So maybe he was like, fuck them. I'm going to do this to them. <laughs> and obviously fuck Hitler. What you got, Sorry, President? Kanye. Uh, what you got, <laughs> President? <laughs> We got... Wow, like, okay. So I, I just dated the episode too by saying that. But That's anyway, fine. so we I was so happy when they did that because who doesn't want to see that? So I was like, yes, great. This is wonderful. Um, because that's just the kind of stuff that I love. I guess I'm bloodthirsty, but I just was like, cool, <laughs> he's writing wrongs with movies. It's I, I love that it's a creative move it's not real so it's like even if you base it off reality you can change it like you're not uh you're not beholden you're not a slave to like oh because this person existed and they died this way i don't i have to follow that because that's i thought that when i saw glorious bastards like well he can't even though hitler is there he can't that's untouchable because he doesn't die like that he said fuck that it's like (laughs) we are gonna kill him here like so i was shocked because i was like you you, he just changed history um I don't know. I eat that stuff up. This is so funny. <laughs> Carmelita and I were like, oh, I thought you left, Carmelita. You were oh, like, no, no, I don't no, want no, any no. part of this. No, I, my, uh, my power cable wasn't hooked up. Oh. So okay. all of a sudden I got this like low battery. I was like, <gasps> so it's like, no. Oh, this is going, this that. is a good conversation. No, we can't have this. It's so such a good sorry, conversation. That's, that's where I get on it. I can, I understand where you're coming from, but that's why I think I love that stuff. I was like, this is great. Uh, like, you know, just... I don't, I don't like it at all. Preston, where so do you I, stand on this? I don't like it at all. So specifically, because um, I don't want to give away like all my thoughts on all of his movies until we get to the ranking, but to Carmelia's question of like, why are the Manson family in the film? Um, I feel like it's funny because I had your same thought process um, when I first saw the movie. I was like, why are they in the movie? Like, And I'm, I'm someone, I don't necessarily care for true crime like that. Like I really... I had like a cloud hanging over me when I w- went to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for a, num- for a number of reasons. Um, uh, so when I saw that movie, I wasn't super in love with the choice. The, the story in general, the component of having Sharon Tate, the Manson family, be involved in the film. Um, now, upon rewatch, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm in Matt's camp firmly. Um, and I can say that because I have a poster for it hanging in my room right now um uh, you like doubled down you're all in (laughs) i'm all in i'm all in on once upon a time because i feel that the movie is with the whole going back to the western thing i think it is a western but also it's in that it's all these characters at different points of their lives acquainting a big a a big event that's going to change their lives forever like with rick dalton uh leo dicaprio you have the gloria swanson in sunset boulevard element that I think makes this arc what it is. Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt, is the the opposite of him. Like he, what I find so cool about that movie is that it's both of these two guys. They're both heartthrobs in in 
like throughout the 90s and now they're playing these two has-beens where one guy is hyper masculine to the point where he doesn't need to announce it rick dalton actually plays those roles and he is crying you know to his best friend and all that kind of thing and here you have sharon tate the one woman you know the, of of the of the of the three leads the, the woman the main face of the poster where you i feel like you can't tell the story of sharon tate without telling the story of the manson family in some way shape or form and Tarantino's sweetness, I think, comes across weirdly in how he violently dispatches the, <laughs> the, the, the Manson family. I think that, I genuinely believe that that's Tarantino's way of being sweet about honoring those three characters. The way they all collide together, the reason why it's called Once Upon a Time is because, you know, it's like, oh, I'm Rick Dalton. I'm telling the story about how my best friend beat up Bruce Lee. I'm telling the story about <laughs> Um, how I how I acted my ass off um, on the set of a western when my career was on the rocks. I'm telling the story about how I met Sharon Tate on on this fateful night that could have taken out all our lives. And it's on the cusp of it's in it's takes place in '69 before the '70s happened. You mm -hmm. know the where not only the Spielbergs and the Scorseses and all those people come to play, but the Polanskis as well. And I feel like you see that transition come to a head in that climax. And there's all these nuances with all the characters that, also, that I also love about the film as well. I mean, without, I feel like without, I'm usually, oh my God, I hate doing this. This sounds so pretentious. <laughs> I, this sounds so pretentious because I hate when I am not into a movie and, and someone's like, press and watch that again. But I will say the way the movie is so, the way the movie is, as much as people like to call it kind of his new Jackie Brown, I, I feel like it's more like his new Pulp Fiction in the sense that the world building is what draws me back to it in addition mm. to that mm -hmm. Jackie Brown sweetness. And uh, so to, that's a very long-winded way of answering your question, but <laughs> of why the Manson family are in the film. I, I was going to say, because I forgot this was a Jackie Brown podcast, and we had a nice little bonus Once Upon a Time Hollywood podcast. We stuck <laughs> Like in the middle, we Trojan horse this into the episode um, and stuck it. I love it though. I'm just, I was like, oh crap, Jackie Brown. But I was going to say, I, there might be something with Tarantino because he's like a child of the 60s. That was mm -hmm. when he was a very little kid that, and I've heard this about the Manson family, those murders. That's the end of the 60s, the free love era. That kind of feels like this, that shook that area up. And oh, yeah. in, I think he's resentful. Like it's like even, this killed even the innocence into of my the childhood. 80s, like I grew yeah. up hearing all about the Manson seeing footage mm -hmm. of of uh the parole hearings like mm -hmm. so so I'll just tell you I like I know so much about the history of that case that I knew the second the second that something was not historically accurate I was like oh, oh. So that's what we're doing Okay. That's exactly that what he's one. up to. I knew instantly. It was like this very minor thing, but I knew from that instant, okay, we're rewriting history. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, maybe he just <laughs> is resentful toward them for killing the innocence of his I'm, childhood I mean, or I, something. I can and understand then... that. There's a lot of bad people and a lot of horrific things that have happened in history. This is very true. <laughs> it's very true. And I, I like that he gave Sharon Tate this nice happy ending that she did not get in real life. And I know he like talked to her sister and I think he got it cleared with her 
she uh-huh. made sure well, she was cool with it, which is nice. I mean, correct. I feel like that's Tarantino 30 years ago would not have done that. I think he would have been like, eh, you know, whatever. Like, uh, <laughs> Tarantino pressure was, eh. Uh, but he, I feel like he might have done that, the uh, younger guy. But I mean, so it's, I, I actually get why you wouldn't like it. And if it's just not oh, yeah. your thing to revise it's not history, my thing. then I would not tell not you to ever rewatch it. If you're just not going to, yeah. you just don't like them doing that. I get it. Um, I reject my statement, Carmelita. <laughs> I will. I will say. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one that I could watch it up until that scene. Oh, okay. Yeah, it would I still mean... be almost three hours long. And... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a nice tight two twenty-five, right? No. <laughs> and, and are you sure? No, no it's, I don't know, it's two. It's it like two hours forty. Like two forty. I... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Never mind. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It feels short to me because I love it. Uh, Oh, yeah, it didn't feel short to me. As much as beautiful as I thought it was, it felt very Mm -hmm. long to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so Jackie Brown, let's talk about. I was gonna say, let's get back to Jackie Brown. Um, (laughs) Okay, (laughs) we talked all about it, all around it, the age thing. I love the scene when Robert Forster is in Jackie's apartment, apartment or house. I can't. uh, uh, Yeah, and they're just sitting there having coffee and talking about getting older mm-hmm. and it's like such a great conversation anyway but then the line that always just kills me it's when like talking about getting older it was like ass is a little bigger and robert Forrest was like ain't nothing wrong with that <laughs> like <laughs> such a perfect line a perfect reaction to that statement um i love he has no problem with aging he said something about his hair which i think was really a thing for him in real it life really yeah, he thing, said yeah. uh he said he started uh doing um i think i think he doesn't say bosley but uh, something along <laughs> those lines of hair of, transplant uh, hair transplant oh yeah yeah and, uh, his hair Jackie looks better says, than... how do you feel about that and he's like oh i you know i i feel good like i feel good yeah. about it and he's that's when after they make the after she makes the the, the posterior comment you know he's just like i can't <laughs> feel bad for you in this department. I bet you don't look a day over, you know, a day over, you know, 25. And um, I, I think there's so much, I love that scene as well, because you you learn so much about their characters from that moment. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, before that, I mean, the first, tw- the first nearly 30 minutes of the movie, you see Jackie Brown in the opening credits and then you don't see her until nearly minute 30. I forgot about that. I was like, oh yeah, she disappears like the first 30 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and with that scene, it, it, it comes a, only a few moments after um, he like Forster really falls in love with her. And, oh, we have to talk about natural high. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. is one of my favorite things. I mean, really their whole relationship. And, and this is part of what, when I say that the movie is, is really mature is that like, like these are the types of relations, like this is a fictional story, but these are the types of relationships grown people have. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and I love how when, when Max Cherry is standing at the gates of the county lockup. <laughs> you hear those drums. And Bloodstone's natural <laughs> high comes out, you're just like, oh, it's on. <laughs> and he is, the expression on his face when he sees her, like it just speaks of all, he is love struck. You know, it made me think <laughs> of Thumper trying to explain to Bambi what the word Twitter pated means. Oh, it's it's Max <laughs> Cherry in that moment is Twitter pated. <laughs> love at first sight. Thumper, really, I just pictured yeah. Thumper with his little foot. <laughs> but 
but I think what's what's beautiful about their relationship mm. as head over heels as he is right from the jump. It's like these are adults that have all their own baggage and their own history and they're living their lives and he's running a business and she's doing her own thing. And and he's got her back and he's there for her. But he's not good. You know, no one is going to drop everything and just completely give themselves over the way you would when you're a teenager or a 20 yes. year old. Yeah, that's you true. know, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, it's so it's it's this beautiful kind of love story. But it it isn't Romeo and Juliet because Romeo and Juliet were 13 and 16 and out of their damn minds and had no experience. <laughs> yeah, these are grown people. Yeah, you know that they're connecting, but they they also have to like live and pay the rent and and deal with the realities of life. That's right. that's what I love about their romance so much uh, along those lines too. In the middle of this crime film, because. What I think is so powerful about Max's love for Jackie that, like you said, is, is instantaneous from first sight. You know, like he's talking to her, he's coaxing her out of her hesitation on, he's, he's the first person she sees on the other side of being thrown into prison. So kind of like her main male figure, the person who um, is an arms tra trafficker, you know, Ordell Roby, Samuel Jackson, he's not that. He's very you know quiet he's very candid um uh, or not can't well he is candid but uh, he just has a candor to his voice that's very mm -hmm. calming i think to her that she responds to really well and which is why whenever you see flashbacks of these two characters on the phone them talking at a cafeteria of all places them um him coming back to her home to recant the, 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 the raw details of the heist that they're willing to pull on both Ordell and um, the feds that, that Jackie's feeding information to, Max knows the entire time, okay, like, if, if we get caught, we're, we're, you know, we're fucked, like, because Ordell's going to kill us. And if the feds catch us, then we're going to go to jail. And he even says to her, like, Jackie, are you sure you can do this? He never doubts her, but he's always like, are you sure that he, you, he can do this? Are they, can you do this? And he supports her through it. And I think that that is so beautiful, especially considering that because of their respective baggage, the fact that he is a businessman, the fact that she's kind of lost her way in her, in her mind, in that wrapping around back to that scene that Matt was talking about where, where, where these two are sharing the Delphonics together for the first time, you realize that she had that in order for her to achieve what she really wants in life, she has to follow her own way. And, and Max, I get the feeling that he knows he can't really be a part of that. Um, and I think that's amazing. I look what Carmelita said. It's like when you're like, you know, teenager, early twenties, like, you will like fucking drop stuff to be someone you're in love with. You're like, I'll move across country. It's fine. Like, but when you're like 40, 50, I think you think longer about these things sometimes. And like, he has a business to run. And he says that to her, like, I have a business. His friend would be out of a job. Tiny listener, I believe. Yeah. Like, it would be out of a job. He just left. Like, he's thinking, I can tell he's thinking about this stuff. He's like, I really can't just leave. You can tell he wants to. And you could tell there was instant oh, yeah. regret. I love that. It's almost, no, not the last shot. But when she leaves and he turns around, it goes out of focus. And like, puts his hand on his head. And he's like, shit. Like, I can just tell he's like, oh, yeah. like, it's killing but him. But this, this is the yeah. reality of, of adult relationships sometimes. It's like, 
you can really care about someone and feel really connected to them and also know that like you were saying they need to find their own way and maybe they'll mm -hmm. circle back to you maybe down the line there'll be better timing but in that moment jackie needs you know she's and we get that little bit about her backstory about having been married and having having gotten in trouble with the law before over yeah. you know the charges her husband was facing and you know she's it's really important for her to be self-sufficient and independent and although he does offer to help her and although he he does give her some advice he always respects her judgment mm -hmm. trusts her judgment sees her as capable and i think he knows that like she's not a damsel in distress she's not looking for a man to come and pay her rent and take care of her <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and if they're going to be together some you know the timing would have to be right she would have to feel like she was on her own two feet mm -hmm. and she's not there at that moment and so it's like this bittersweet it's this really beautiful story of these people that connect and that connection is very real and I love that she addresses like hey I didn't use you and I never lied to you like she wants to make sure that he knows like we're partners yeah like I wasn't I wasn't trying to manipulate you but the reality is you know the timing is just off but, and that's real. And I just, I love how real that is and how the performances that Pam Greer and Robert Forster give all of the little, all the little subtle things that they do and the way that they play off of each other. Like it's all there. Like one of my favorite things too is when he buys the Delphonics tape, mm -hmm. which is like <laughs> the most precious thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how, did you notice from then on, he's listening to it nonstop, but he mm -hmm. never, he didn't do it to impress her. He didn't go in and like show her he got it or insist on playing it for her to show her he got it or, or start trying to front <laughs> about all this new Delphonics knowledge he has. I feel attacked. He, <laughs> he took a genuine interest mm. and it doesn't matter if she knows that she turned him onto the Delphonics and he's listening to it now. That's not what matters. What matters yeah. is that she was listening to it. He, he was introduced to it through her and he, he just wants to know more about it. And it, it's not about impressing her, you know, like that's yeah. some mature grown people relationship stuff. <laughs> I just love that's, that. It's beautiful. True. I thought it was well, twofold of like, he genuinely likes it and it reminds him of her. Yeah. So I felt like it was mm -hmm. twofold. Like, and I love yeah. that moment when Sam Jackson's in his car and he's like, Delphonics, huh? Like, and he's <laughs> like, like he knows, he knows something's up. He already was good. suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. It's like he already was suspicious, I think, of something going on. And then he, like, the tape, I feel like, kind of confirms it for him that, like, oh, for sure. That he likes Jackie at least. But they have, I was watching this again thinking, like, man, is this the two most real feeling characters Tarantino's ever written? And, mm -hmm. To be performed by Robert Forrester and Pam Greer, they perform it so well that it's like I completely buy that these are real people who are really falling in love. There's so much electricity at the end, especially I'm like, kiss, kiss, like I'm like, chanting in my house. Um, <laughs> and how and I, often do you do people cheer on middle-aged people <laughs> kissing? Not that often. <laughs> not but very I, often. I want these yeah. to go so bad. And like they I was like, because sometimes I love Tarantino, but sometimes he writes people that really feel like 
movie characters. Like, oh, actually, a lot. Yeah. I think he does that. Like, oh, like yeah. we don't feel like real people. Like Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards, I think, feels like this big movie character. Even Sam Jackson in Pulp Fiction is like, he has an arc and everything, but it's like they're so usually big and over the top, and they feel like characters have these quotable lines. But like these two people, Pam, uh, uh, yeah, Jackie Brown and Max Cherry, like really feel like real people who are really falling in love. And like I, it's just it's just crazy how good, <laughs> like how good that oh, yeah. love story is. Like, well, like and well rounded too. The way that they, the way he runs his business. Oh yeah. And and Jackie, you know the way she handles this situation with the feds pulling her in one direction and Ordell pulling her in the other. They're these really well-rounded characters that, although they're doing some really badass stuff in this movie, they're doing it in a way that's very, it feels very authentic. Like, like there could be a real person who could pull this off if they were that intelligent and that street smart and that, you know, it's yeah. This isn't like Mission what... Impossible breaking into like the CIA vault game. Right. You know, it's not or not even Ocean's <laughs> Eleven, which is more complex and complicated. It's a super street oh, level. Yeah. Like we could pull this off. Like it's a little bit. You got to kind of follow like the pieces, but like it's it's the heist thing could almost be left out. Honestly, like I could just watch them fall in love. And some of the other, and maybe avoid Ordell or something, but like the whole money exchange, it's a good sequence. I like how he kind of like Rashomon's it and shows us three different sides. But like, I was thinking like, I barely even need this. <laughs> like, cause I just was so into the, the love store this time, especially I just, all that stuff works so well. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't even know where I was going with that, but yeah, so Preston, go ahead, speak. <laughs> oh no, you're good, man. I, I think I think y'all both made uh, some incredibly salient points. I, I think to your your last point of like, um, uh, you know, like I think both of y'all said um, that kind of the heist itself is very authentic and the characters match that. I think it, it's interesting the juxtaposition between those because what I've always loved about this movie. Um, you know, especially as I, you know, I've, you know, I've gotten older and I've, I realize, I, I realized just yesterday, I'm like, man, I'm starting to feel what these characters are are saying. Like, even now I'm like, cause oh I'm God, in my twenties. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, my, my eyes are getting watery. Oh goodness. But um, no, but um, the entire impetus for, for why Jackie wants to get payback on not only Ordell, but also the cops like these characters in the movie who doubt her is all because you know Ordell basically messed up um you know from you know he he basically kills you know Beaumont Chris Tucker um because he because he he knows Beaumont he I think he tells Lewis like you know you know you, I, I trust Beaumont to be Beaumont if you know if you know either of us like you know one of us has to go down it ain't gonna be me so you know he kills Beaumont but he's too late in doing that because by that point he's already told um, Michael Keaton and Michael Bowen mm -hmm. where Jackie's gonna be with the money and and the cocaine and the location in which he's dropping that off and so that's what really begins the movie and what I find so interesting about this movie is that it's, it's populated by all these sad sack schlubby characters <laughs> um like Robert De Niro is used the complete opposite way that he was he being used. He is hilarious in this, in this movie. <laughs> he's so oh, his scenes with him and Bridget Fonda, they're they're fantastic. Um <laughs> he's but also too, like, I mean, Sam Jackson, I mean, Matt, you mentioned how he's big, like 
in this career making performance in, in Pulp Fiction, where I feel watching it again yesterday, it's like, well, Jules really is like the smartest man in the room. Anytime he's in a room, like he knows the right things to say, you know, the Ezekiel line, you know, like the Ezekiel he's line. philosophical. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's Jules Winfield, you know, but he, what's, what's interesting about Sam Jackson, like this is in this next movie, like Jackie Brown, like he thinks he's hot shit, but he's yes. living this really sad life where like he's drugging <laughs> up girls, going from their different apartments, you know, like he's recanting things about the guns he's trafficking just from, watching like um <laughs> poor vhs tapes that are already <laughs> girls for guns video yeah <laughs> yeah 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 like i think it's um uh chicks who chicks who love guns yeah. oh yeah and... that was weirdly like a big part of the trailer for the movie and it's not a big part of the movie like i feel like <laughs> when i watch a trailer like so much is built on that chicks with guns video it's like it's not that big a part yeah bridget fonda calls you know, out, tells Robert D. about his bullshit. He's like, he's bullshit. He's like, he's heard this shit. Like, he doesn't really, yeah. and he's like a middleman. I really, this time I was like, he has to call somebody else. Uh, the guy in Mexico, I believe. Like, he's not yeah. that hot shit, but he likes to act like he's hot shit, mm-hmm. but he's like, he's worked with somebody else. He's just the like 500,000 that Jackie wants is, is in Mexico. Yeah, like, he's middle management. It's like, it's not that impressive. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's, I, yeah, he, but he's still, he's quietly menacing in this movie. I think he's like, oh yes. He's very good at like being this kind of like scary when he needs to be, you know, type guy. Like, um, it's very good. It's it's very different than his performance as Jules. Um, he's like a charming snake. Yes, he's There's very like this... <laughs> snake-like. Wow. He's very snake-like. I could see it. He, a snake it with a Kangle me... hat. <laughs> yeah, like he's, yeah. he's got this. He's real charming and real slippery. You know what I mean? <laughs> But like he'll bite you, right? He's yeah, yeah. He's like, I need sure. a favor, you know? Yeah, like yeah. he's like, like that's that's the thing that that's why I think he's a great villain for this movie. Not only because he's 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 like a low rent thug, which is the opposite of of Max and Jackie. Like Max and Jackie really are like the smartest characters characters of this movie. Like they outsmart the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have a romance with each other where they do anything for each other um, kind of thing. Whereas Ordell, the moment you show any kind of weakness, there's this, when he kills Beaumont, um, you know, he plays it off as a joke, like, like someone bl- blew Beaumont's brains out, you know, and he laughs it off. But then right before he shoots Lewis, he literally looks at him. He, it's almost like he's looking at the shell of his old comrade that he went to jail with and for um because they both committed a robbery together and that's why they were both in prison together he looks at him after he's after lewis is fucked up by killing melanie and completely miss completely missing the the visible clue of of max was probably in on uh jackie swindling them he looks at him and says your ass used to be beautiful like what happened and that's when he shoots them. And it's this very, it's one of my favorite shots in all of 90s film, to be honest. Um, when, uh, not, not necessarily the shot where um, he gets shot, no pun intended, I promise. <laughs> but um, it's when um, you just hear like music in the background, diegetically When he speaking. figures it out, he's kind of head bent. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. the camera starts closing in and it's, you can tell he says not a word. 
the the movement of the camera and the look on his face and his posture is like oh he just figured it out mm-hmm. and he's real disappointed in how <laughs> in how this whole thing went down mm. you know oh yes that moment is one of my favorites it, too it, it and and i and i would argue that this this is up there with pulp fiction as one of his best performances uh for for so many reasons like that like as much as like Greer and, and Forster, they got the Oscar nominations. Like I think they they take oh, no. the film. No, Pam Greer did not. Pam I don't Greer. think. Oh, she did not. We can Golden talk. Golden Globe I, for her. Did she get a nomination? Or the actual Golden? Did she win the Golden Globe? Uh, I know she got nominated for a Golden Globe. I don't know if she got it. She I don't got to talk about Titanic. the the Oscars on this show. We got to talk about how Pam Greer was not nominated for Best Actress. I cannot. And no offense to the other. I got it right here because I was going to read it later. But you, you, brought, you brought me to it. That's got notes. Robert Forrester got nominated. Great. Love it. Then you don't nominate Pam Greer? Like, how do you even do one without the other? That's crazy. And I, it, oh, so this is who was nominated for Best Actress in 97, would have won in 98. Uh, Kate wins on Titanic. I mean, Titanic got like, 15 nominations so yeah what are you gonna do uh helen hunt is as good as 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 good as it gets she won right helen hunt i think she did okay okay just nominees right now um uh three movies i'm not kidding i've never heard of so i'm curious you guys have uh i've heard of the actresses julie christie and afterglow anyone know that movie Mm, that sounds vaguely familiar but i don't (laughs) think i've seen it judy dench and we called mrs brown that's kind of funny that she's never called Mrs. Brown, <laughs> Jackie Brown. Um, <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove. I actually may have heard of that, but does anyone it, talk about any three of those movies? <laughs> like, so it made me even matter that it's like, no offense, those ladies, but for Pam Greer not to get nominated and then not Racism? for like three. I, I, listen, because the other piece of this is that. She comes back with this movie, starring role in this Tarantino movie. Um, doesn't really do that much right after. She's in some supporting stuff like Ghost from Mars <laughs> and some other random mm-hmm. supporting roles. Robert Forrester she was on doing behalf. quite a bit of television. Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm like, how did this not open more doors for her? And I'm like, <laughs> Robert Forrester then gets to, and I'm, again, I'm happy for him, but he gets no, to have a I'm, career. Yeah. He completely revives his career because he's basically quit acting at this point. Uh, yeah. Tarantino famously found him in a coffee shop <laughs> because he didn't have an agent, so he just had to track him down. And then Forrester gets to work like from here till the end of his life, basically, like you know, till he dies. And he has all these good roles in Twin Peaks. He's in the Descendants. He's, yeah, he's in a ton of stuff. Like I was looking at his IMDb, and it's like he was doing great after this, which is great. But I just don't understand why Pam Greer did not get the same opportunities. And sadly, I think Cumberlead already alluded to it that it's twofold of being a black woman in your 40s in Hollywood and it's mm-hmm. like Hollywood's like we don't have anything for you <laughs> we're not mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino is what is like so it, it makes me more upset that she doesn't get the Oscar nomination and it doesn't get to go on this awesome run of other movies which just really bums me out but sorry to bring everybody down but no, I <laughs> I <don't>... hey <laughs> Pam Greer I don't know if you follow her on social media she's living a good life I, I do I oh, yeah. she is still, she is she still is working oh, yeah. she loves her horses she is an incredible, she's not just incredible on screen. She's an incredible <laughs> person, period, end of story. I just want her to be happy. That's all. <laughs> so, and and so, she's still, she's so still she, beautiful. Like she's still gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I do 
obviously I echo what Carmelia <laughs> said earlier. I, I didn't want to just out, out say it. So thank you for that. Um, no, I'd have to it, it had to be said, got to put it on front street. That's real. I, I think, I think it is, I think it is like kind of the, the weird, um, kind of the weird ghost of this movie, kind of how it's about a black woman in her forties. She, she, she literally was kind of playing her age at this, at this era. And I think too, because I'm glad you brought up the Oscars thing, because um, I, I wasn't quite thinking about that today, but I've always felt had Titanic not won Best Picture, I'm going to ruffle some feathers when I say this, but <laughs> had it not won Best Picture, I feel like 97 would be remembered as one of the best cinema years of all time. Like as much as we remember 94. Um, you, if, if you were to pull up like 90, 90, 97 in film, like on Wikipedia or something. Like, the Murderer's Row. It's a great, yeah. I, I still think it's one of the best years for movies, like 97, 99. I remember I was there. Like <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of great films that came out that year. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a tough year. So I do give them that. But like, when I looked mm -hmm. at the best actress nominees, I'm like, what? Like, what, what are these movies? <laughs> like, yeah. oh yeah. So and don't even get me started on the Academy Awards because <laughs> I know I usually like to bring them up on this show, but for I'm this, already I... real sassy tonight. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> that was just... what is going on. I, I don't. I'm not usually this sassy, but <laughs> oh, I was. It was so I think egregious. Tarantino brings that out, people. Tarantino yes. brought it out. <laughs> he does. It, it was just that was so egregious. I, I, I just was like, I don't understand how you nominate Robert Forrester. Don't nominate her. And then to see who, if I looked at all those names and was like, wow, what a friggin', you know, boom, right. boom, boom. Like all these performances. But like, I, you know, I think and, everyone at the cast is at the top of their game in this yeah, movie. Like, yeah. I think everybody, yes. Um, like, like, I think, because I, I, we were talking about De Niro earlier. I think this is one of his like most thankless performances. Like, it's not, it's not necessarily, you know, setting the world on fire or, or reinventing the wheel, like, Lamada or or Bickle or any of those other um, more prominent performances, but I think at this point in his career, where he was kind of settling into what I call De Niro riffing on himself, kind of him becoming uh -huh. a parody, doing more comedies and that kind of thing. Um, I, I think this is an interesting role for him because Lewis, I would I would argue, is a little bit almost not as scary as Ordell, but he's. He he is pretty intimidating, especially when he goes off on Melanie. Like, you know, oh like, yeah, take, take, yeah. Take your, take your hand and all. We this don't stuff see like how that. scary he is until then. I'm like, oh geez, this guy's really like. I should know better because like you know, like he went to jail for a while, but like, like he really lets it loose. You're like, this guy's a real lunatic. <laughs> I love. No, go ahead, please. <laughs> oh my bad. Um, I was just I was just gonna wrap up and say, um, there's so much going on in those scenes with him and Melanie alone, like especially when the heist goes down, because this is right after there's there's you can sense there's this little bit of sexual frustration and just frustration period with the way that she uh like is 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 bantering with him like like why how'd you mess this up how'd you go to jail god you guys are 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 such you know nimrods for letting this happen like it's funny at first but then as you keep seeing de niro's face like just contort and the way that he's a, just i mean there's no way around it he's he's pretty much like putting his hands on her, abusing her in a way to get her to, to you know, to, to silence her. Um, that's when you see that scared De Niro come out. And it, but it's, this time it's at the expense of his prior mistakes. And I feel that way about every character in this movie. Like there's, every character is suffering from past mistakes, which I think 
on first viewing for people like y'all where I have to imagine like how y'all took to this movie the first time in y'all's respective manners that's <laughs> not fun to watch you know it just isn't and and like and not to say we need a movie to be fun but like to watch a movie a Tarantino directed movie rather where uh, it's all about the mistakes the characters make as and the characters feel the consequences of them throughout the rest of the movie up until the end and most of the characters end up dead <laughs> that's not that's not that's not the uh, that's not Beatrix kiddo um, you know make chopping off heads you know that's 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 it's it's not Aldo Rain decapitating Nazis like it's 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 a true Elmore Leonard adaptation like you're I think the Tarantino isms come through through the use of music, the mm -hmm. editing, um, the reference characters have for pop culture. I think those scenes are very Tarantino, but um, the um, Matt, you you asked earlier um, us earlier is this is this Tarantino's most realistic feeling movie? I think it is solely because it's probably his most narratively focused. Which is why, objectively, I don't think it's his best film because I think the two films before this, in Carmelia's defense, I'm going to play devil's advocate tonight. <laughs> um, those movies are just more narratively um, uh, groundbreaking, for lack of a better word. Like, um, like that word is so overused. This is groundbreaking. This is setting trends. This is that. But that's what it those really movies was. are. You know, and... I mean, even watching Reservoir Dogs now, like it, it, it's what heist movie is going to show you the aftermath and make that the whole movie in like a, right. a few Not locations. the heist. Yeah, it's like yeah, not mm -hmm. the heist. Jackie Brown is very, you know, I've had people describe it to me in the past as very standard because in a lot of ways it is. But I think the beauty of that standardization is that you're watching an auteur, a master, in my eyes, pull those inclinations back and really honor the source material. He's honoring the actors by, by having them play their age, by not having them play, um, play the violence, play the, he, he's having them play a different set of notes. And I think it's a wonderful, it's a wonderfully subtle coda for this era in his career. Um, and I, yeah, I'm done rambling, so. <laughs> I, you got, no, and that, it's yeah. that subtlety that's, I think, one of the the most amazing things about this film is that subtlety. Like, and the fact that it's an adaptation, I think, ooh, I'm gonna make some people mad. Like, I, I, have oh to, I, I started thinking to myself, I started thinking to myself as I, as I was preparing to rank his entire filmography and I was thinking about the later films that I don't connect with. Mm -hmm. And, and I started to think, I think it's the writing because visually the, the, what I saw was gorgeous, beautiful shots, beautiful cinematography, all the technical stuff is on point. I think it's, I think it's the writing I don't like. <laughs> Do you think and, the writing is regressing as the filmmaking has gotten better? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's your opinion. It's okay. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think again. I'll go back to my. I'll go back to my relationship that didn't work out because we grew in in different directions. Mm -hmm. Metaphor is that I. I think 
he's just as a writer has developed in this other direction that just doesn't appeal to me but i i think with jackie brown it's like you get this beautiful marriage of tarantino's sensibility because it's there mm-hmm. yeah changes like like jackie brown being a black woman as opposed to jackie burke a white woman in the book like that's a key change blonde too yeah you know <laughs> like so he 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 brings his sensibility his the things that he loves and really feels for artistically he gets to have these great moments these scenes these little vignettes which he's so good at doing with great dialogue he brings in the music that really sets the scene he's got this great cast and everybody is bringing this wonderful performance all very subtle like the de niro thing i love <laughs> to your point preston i love watching watching as his irritation with melanie builds over the mm-hmm. film until it gets to that boiling point where it's open contempt you know but like right from the jump like okay we need this needs to be said the look on his face when she puts her foot on his drink <laughs> yes like yes, yes that's me yeah Take your foot away from my drink. I was like, yeah, Thank keep those you. feet away from me. I don't need. But he kind of shakes feet. that off, right? Like right. he's a little grossed out, but he just kind of moves his glass and doesn't say anything. But little by little over the course of the film, you get those little subtle. He's showing you in his face and his demeanor, how irritated he's becoming. <laughs> and then he becomes yeah. a little more vocal about it until it builds to that crescendo. You know, like all of these Samuel Jackson's performance again, like he's not yelling at the top of his voice the entire film. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to do that to be menacing in this film. It's a, it's a great performance. And he's got this, the character feels very well-rounded and not like a caricature because you get those different, those different sides to his personality. It's just, there's a lot of subtlety in this. And I think it, it comes It comes in part, I think, I wonder, just speculating (laughs) in the challenge of adapting someone else's work, having some parameters, like it's like bowling with the bumpers up, like got some (laughs) little parameters. (laughs) If I want, if I want to make the strike, I can't throw this across the room and hit your pins. I have to, I have to, I have to stay in this lane, but Mm -hmm. I can be creative. About how you get there how I get there. Yeah. Yeah. But, you okay. Know, I've got some parameters. And, and <laughs> I like that. That, you know? Yeah. You know what I think it is like, like, um, and it, you like about the, the adaptation section <clears throat> versus where his career went off later, like later. I know this is a Jackie Brown pod, but I guess we can't talk about, I mean, we've been all over the place. It's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to say quickly, I think, I think what it is about the the adaptation versus post Kill Bill, um, as we're kind of delineating it unofficially tonight, is <laughs> I, I think Tarantino in the '90s, like he was all about challenging himself. He was all about kind of proving he was the outsider, kind of the the hungry artist. You know, I don't need the big studios. Like I I have the backing of a few people. Consistently, consistently, this is what I do. Like I make these crime films of some kind and 
you know, obviously that different variations of that, like natural born killers is, is, is him doing the, the, the mass media critique and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, that's what he, that's what his bread and butter was, was crime films. And I think the reception of Jackie Brown after he had deliberately made this movie where there's a Charlie Rose interview from 97 where um, he's at a round table of all these people. Matt, you might've seen it before. I've probably seen all of it. <laughs> I like, I've watched so many. There's a lot of, there's a lot of him on Charlie Rose too. He was there on that are. show a lot. I don't know why. Was it the, he likes is to it talk. The, he does. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's an understatement. Uh, that, uh, um, was it the, what the, was it the round table with like some movie critics? Was that the one? Yes. Yes, yes, I watched this last night. It was fascinating because you don't see directors face to face with movie critics a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was yeah, weird. People, and then, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good, man. Excuse me. So basically, um, in that same interview, like uh, he talks about like the way he wanted Jackie Brown to feel. He wanted to feel like the experience of reading a novel, and. I feel like you get that vibe of this movie. Like it's it's very mm-hmm. sun kissed. It's very it's very Los Angeles, um, which is the complete opposite of how the characters actually feel, <laughs> and that comes across through the runtime, which I love. I love all the all the tertiary details. I love spending time with these characters. Again, it's it's this movie it means a lot to me for so many reasons. But you get, I think this was his first time of a directed film of his really getting kind of lambasted from his like most ardent fans in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think the pushback, it made him go from making what people felt was the least Tarantino Tarantino movie, which I would argue is the most Tarantino Tarantino movie, which is Kill Bill. Like, I would agree because that's like every one of his yeah. influence thrown into a blender and like it's spaghetti western it's kung fu it's De Palma it's there's some anime in there I think he likes that there's like I mean there's just so much stuff in that movie in those two well, you know one movie two chapters uh it, it's it's everything I was like I think he got all of it into one movie <laughs> yeah yeah even Blade Runner I mean the way the um the, the way that Daryl Daryl Hannah like the way she faces her comeuppance is, is and the way her performance, the way she reacts is, is, is eerily similar to how her reaction is in, in, uh, in the 82 Blade Runner. Um, um, different characters, but same actress, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, like, and I think that's what, I think as his career goes on, it makes this movie so much more special because the way he builds tension is so different too. And I don't know... Speaking of the writing, I'm curious, Carmelita, do you think his involvement with Roger Avery really affected his writings? I know that this was his first mm. movie without Avery, uh, Avery uh, getting a screenwriting credit. So, No, that's a good question. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. I don't have an answer what do to you that think? either. I... <laughs> I, I think it would have to because... You would think. To, because that scene you're talking about where... Lewis, like, um, so for example, the, the scene you're talking about where Lewis takes off Melanie's foot and he like sits close to the TV and she whispers chicken shit and then it goes just mm-hmm. goes to the next scene. That's in the middle of like Ordell having to calm down Jackie whenever yeah. he's having to tell her like, hey, my other woman, Sh- uh, Simone, excuse me. Simone. Simone ran off with the, the, the 10K 
that uh, we we originally smuggled. And she's like, what what just happened? Like, what's going on? And that's when he that's when he's like, hey, trust Melanie. Melanie can do this. You know, that kind of thing. Like, even though it's different from our practice run. Um, so the scene's already tense. And I think the way that Tarantino wrote dialogue in the, in the 90s was way more succinct. It was way more, um, he didn't have the uncomfortable tension of like an Inglorious Bastards where you're sitting there and you're shaking, you know, it's like, okay, Hans Landa's drinking milk. What the hell is going on? All right, <laughs> like they're talking about, they're, they're talking about Charlie Chaplin movies for like 10 minutes. Like what's the <laughs> Like there's there's not this uncomfortable <laughs> tension like like he knows when to cut scenes and whatnot like the the editing is more intact in these early films and as much as I grew up with and have affection for in a lot of ways this kind of mid career Tarantino that I'm poking fun at um, I, I think the esteem for Jackie Brown over the years just comes from the fact that it's it's arguably the last time he was this hungry as an artist that he really felt the need to prove himself because mm. once he had carte blanche, that's when you get, you don't get scenes as intimate as the Max and Jackie stuff ever again from him. Yeah. And even when it gets close to that, it's always in the shadow of this, I feel like. So, yeah. Yeah. It feels, I feel like I'm quoting somebody else, but it's, it's like, it feels very vulnerable for, for him. Like, I feel like he always hides behind he hides on there. references and there's cool it's always a coolness to it and i feel like people thought jackie brown bond was probably be cooler than it was i think people expected more of a straight up black exploitation movie Carmel, you can tell me if i'm wrong but i felt like that's what i thought going in that this was going to be like pam greer like this is a foxy brown like sequel <laughs> but it's but she's just normal woman <laughs> she's not like i think people the, i think it was sold a little bit as like oh it's his black exploitation movie and those elements are there but it's not it's way more grounded and like just realistic and though and somebody said this i think um that he was like really in love with somebody at this time and the movie feels like it's made by a guy who's in love like it, it, which it really does and like because he's like <laughs> feels like very sensitive vulnerable tarantino which we don't really get again once my time in hollywood kind of but everything else is like yeah, again back to like really big splashy um stuff and this is like feels so small and intimate and kind of like weirdly vulnerable and it might go back to the adaptation might be where he's at in his life it might be this like pressure of following up Pulp Fiction with like how do I follow it up they all shrink in a little bit because I've been so like I'd be overexposed for the past three years like I would not know what to do after Pulp Fiction if I was him I'm like what what do I do like I, you know, I might've gone kill Bill next because that's also radically different and bigger and like so radically different, but um, oh, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, sorry, Preston, go ahead. You saw so you raise your fingers. <laughs> oh, my bad. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm making a stance. No, no. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to, cause you, you asked, um, you know, I want to get Carmelita's take on this too, because you specifically asked her like, what was like, were, were people expecting more of a black exploitation thing? That I can't answer. What I can say is that um, I have read in many places that um, when Pam Greer was being auditioned or I guess interviewed or when she met Tarantino, because I don't think there was a real audition. I think he pictured oh, her yeah. he <laughs> as his revisionism <laughs> of mm -hmm. Jackie Burke um, from the book. Um, 
she walks into his office and she see and she sees like all these posters for like Shiba Baby and Coffee and movies like that. And she was like, "You didn't put these up to impress me, right?" <laughs> he goes, "You know, I was afraid you'd say that genuinely, but these are literally in my office the entire time." And that's when she knew that she was in good hands. And, and I think I, I think I remember hearing he had said like he had he had been thinking he should take them down before she <laughs> I think came. I've heard that story yeah, too. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I yeah. thought we the same way. She take these down before she comes in. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, because she she had that thought when she walked in. And um, I, I think the, and I've read that the casting of, of her deliberately, whenever he was retooling the protagonist for the book, is that he, he envisioned her as Foxy Brown 30 years later. Because I think the mm-hmm. thing to keep in mind this is okay. I'm about to say the most comic book nerdy thing, but <laughs> Do it. that's just who I am. But like Tarantino making this movie so soon after the black exploitation boom and kind of the black exploitation resurgence that happened in the 90s once DVD started becoming mm-hmm. a thing towards the end of the decade and the hipster movement started becoming a thing because <laughs> Tarantino mm-hmm. kind of spurred that on a little bit. Um, it's kind of like when James Mangold made Logan um last in the last decade where wolverine is is a pretty new character um in the pantheon of like compared to superman and batman oh wolverine yeah 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 it's like created 30 the, 40 years after them i think right yeah, yeah it's like yeah. it's it's kind of that distance and and that's kind of what what especially for millennials like me who you know like like I remember in the '90s, like my older brother, he was all about the the X Men stuff. We had the cartoon, like like that type of shit. <laughs> yeah, like that's what that's that's kind of what I can equate that to. And I'm curious what Carmelita has to say about the adjacency of those two movements. No, I think you're onto something there because I I definitely. It's it's like, yeah, Pam Greer is, is the star and we all knew already that Quentin Tarantino was a fan of black exploitation film, an enthusiast, if you will. But I, I mean, he was so early in his career. Like, yeah, we figured it would be his version of a black exploitation film, but like, what would that even look like? Right. You know, <laughs> because like there was no telling what he was going to do. Not mm-hmm. really, you know? So I think, so I, I do think maybe we, maybe there was an expectation that it would be more violent or um, more pulpy maybe, yeah, maybe more pulpy. But those elements are there, right? Again, it's that it's a little more, that's a little more subtle. Yeah. And and I think too, you know, I wonder as as someone who's a fan of Pam Greer, like, do do I want to see Pam Greer after all of her years of work and life experience? go back to do a hardcore Foxy Brown style black exploitation film in, in the nineties. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- that feels almost disrespectful <laughs> to her as an artist and a professional 
and, and a human being who's continuing to grow and evolve and change. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think there is something really beautiful about that, that it's like, because she's in it and all of these other little elements that pay homage to the black exploitation era. Yeah. But also a respect for like, for her, for her. Yeah. 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 You know, she paid those dues. She made those films and they were incredible groundbreaking films in their own way. And very culturally relevant and important to a lot of people. But that was definitely like a time and a place. And, and I'm glad that come the nineties, you're not asking Pam Greer (laughs) to go back and do that same old shtick. Yeah. It's, it's updated. It's more mature. Mm -hmm. And she's still a badass. Oh yeah. She, I always tell them, like she plays the people off each other so well, or plays off Michael Keaton so well. Plays off I was Sam Jackson, say, yeah. like Michael Keaton, so, like is like talking down to her, <laughs> him and yes. Michael Bowen. They're just like, you know, you're this age, you're this type of woman, you know, yeah, they're working like they're just yeah. like running the gamut of like Michael Bowen, especially is so like passive aggressive to her, not maybe just aggressive, but like such a dick where he's like, you're 45, you have a shitty job, you're not going anywhere, blah, blah. and like Michael Keaton, like I think tries to be nice a little bit, like, but he's still she plays him so well because she knows he's like yes. the Boy Scout. Like he mm-hmm. wants to get the criminal type thing. Like at the end, when she yells, like he's got a gun, she she's gonna shoot him. It's like all her problems are gone. Like once Sam Jackson's <laughs> dead, she's like, and then she, I think she says something like, "Oh, great job, Ray, you got it." Or so she really like he needs his like ego stroke. Like she really builds him up, like because he's like, yeah, like he's like wants to be like super agent. You know, he wants to be like the badass because he wears a leather uh-huh. jacket. Like, um, you know, he wants to be so cool. And she plays into that so well. And then like plays Ordell so well. She knows him. And like, I keep thinking he's going to like sniff out that she's bullshitting him. But like, she always turns him away from it. It's like, I think he's like getting close. Then she like manages to like, it's almost like trying to walk somebody away from like, so they shouldn't see. It's like, it go this way. You know, it's like, she kind of like turns him around on it. Um, and that's well, why he's... I think it's so important too. When she says to Robert Forrester and I never played you because she, he's watched her play these other people yes so i feel like he needs to hear that because she's like no with you it was real i wasn't using you um yeah which i just like that so much because she's like assuring him like listen i played a lot of people but you weren't one of them <laughs> like oh yeah well I, I think it's it's apropos to your point because there's that <clears throat> there's a couple of bits where a, a couple of the the other characters they ex- they express their views on wait is that I'm sorry. Was that from my end? Like, I my have bad. no idea. Sorry. Like cat? sorry. What was that? <laughs> I have no idea. I was like, whoa, my bad. Uh, if, if that was me, I'm so sorry. Goodness. Okay. I thought I heard some, I thought I heard a cat noise and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think that was like a, like a phone or something. Oh no. My bad. My you're bad. Good, good. I, I thought my phone was off. Sorry guys. Um, um, what I was going to say was there's all these things with Ordell, um, there's all these things about like characters commenting on, on Pam Greer's weird kind of like relationship with um, Michael Keaton's character, Ray Nicolette, mm-hmm. excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, where Ordell, he like, he says one time after they like finished like planning part of the heist, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little sick of you and that, that super cop being so buddy, buddy. And she's like, you know, if I wasn't so buddy, buddy with him, like you'd be in jail. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't checked there. And then, also 
I think like sometime after that, she's checking in with, um, with Max Cherry and she's just like, you know, I don't know like what like is, I don't know if like Ray's into me. I don't know like what his take is on me. And he's just like, Hey, I think he's just having fun being a cop. Like I've seen all these types because I'm a bell bondsman. That's what I do. That kind of thing. And, um, I, I do love their relationship and I, I love Keaton's performance because as we've seen in performances of his before that and after this like he always want I feel like Michael Keaton in every movie I see like he always wants to go crazy and everything like <laughs> yeah like I was gonna say like, he's like a nuts. bundled up nuts. ball of energy that wants to like kind of just like you know go nuts like like in yeah. Batman like yeah so he always has that like that energy you're right yeah it's like he just feels like he wants to go crazy <laughs> so. yeah and 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 but like much like everybody else in the movie Tarantino finds a way to rein that in and and get a real performance out of him where I've always gotten the vibe that Ray Nicolette actually does care about Jackie in some way, especially compared to his partner. Mm, um, oh, yeah. well, yeah, compared to him, yes. <laughs> Carmelia's face. He's a dick, yeah. <laughs> no, he's such a douche. Yeah, no, um, he sucks. But, uh, and, 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 and I think that in and of itself, like, that's another beautiful kind of, when I say romance, I don't even mean like in a romantic way. Like it's, it's a very respect kind of thing where Ray wants to respect her, but because he's such a young gun, he's going to have to, he has to prove to everyone else that he's just, he's that guy, you know? And, and she lets him get that, get that moment um, at the very end when she's like, Hey Ray, you remember when, I think she says, Hey, you remember when you hope that you find Ordell before he gets me? Well, you got him first. Thank you. You know? So Mm, yeah. yeah it's uh, she's i love that scene when she has taken max sherry's gun he doesn't know she's taken the gun and then she holds her own against ordell because she has the gun on him and then sets him down and says this is how this is gonna go and then like <laughs> she's smart and plays like you know is resourceful basically she plays it and yeah i just it's like so she's not like outright like badass kicking in doors and shooting people but it's like she's she's crafty she's smart yeah. yeah it's like um sorry to change something i keep forgetting to bring this up because robert's near a couple times and i remember i was baffled by this when i first watched the movie i was like why is robert de niro in this part because this part feels like too small for de niro especially in 97 this is two years after heat like this is like this is not like washed up de niro and it's a no. it's an important role but it's smaller and did you guys know that he wanted the max cherry part mm-hmm <laughs> I didn't and know then, that. Actually. Yeah, he wow. really wanted okay. the Max Cherry part, but Tarantino had already gone to find Robert Forster, basically. I think Tarantino said in an interview that he knew if he didn't go and talk to Robert Forster first himself and offer him the part, because he wanted to be like a man of his word, that the script kind of got out there. Every These guys would want it, like Gene Hackman types, and there's the other guys, like bigger names that he really couldn't say no to, and the studio probably forced upon him. <laughs> so oh, he, yeah. but then he talks to Nero, and he's like, oh, I really like the script. Can I be Max Cherry? And he's like, I promise to Robert Forrester. And Nero's like, oh, I get that. I get that. Okay, I'm a man of my word. I, you're a man of your word. And he's like, you know, I'll do the um, the other part. I'm just blinking. Um, his name. Lewis. Thank you, Lewis. I was like, <laughs> uh, he want, I'll, I'll the Lewis part. And you know, Tino, I think, was like, really? The Lewis part? <laughs> like, and he was like, yeah, it's a good part. He's like, I'll do it. Um, so I think it is he a good part. part. It is. And then I, he's good in it. But it took the time. I was like, why? I, I, I thought all, there's got to be some part of it of like, I just want to work with this guy who's like the hottest director in Hollywood. 
you know, so I'll take any part in the movie, like just to sure. be in the movie. Um, but I thought that was always interesting because I just it felt like he was too big for that part. Like, I don't know who I would cast in that part if it wasn't De Niro, but I will I like around my name point is I really cannot see De Niro as Max Sherry. So I think no. I love Robert De Niro, but I think he lacks there's like a real honesty and sweetness to Robert Forrester. And I, that quality, no offense to Robert Nero as a person, but like his on-screen persona, there's like an edge there. I don't, there's just like this real good natured, like this guy's an honest stand-up guy, sweet guy. That I don't know if De Niro could really, it wouldn't work for me as well, I don't think. There's an everyman quality to Forrester. Like yes, he yes. is, yeah. he's kind of got this stoic thing going on and he does, even in his youth, you know, you could believe him being a guy who becomes a vigilante and goes after the bad guys or or an alligator <laughs> in the sewer or whatever else he was doing. But in this everyman kind of way, he's like every man rugged, every yeah. man solid. <laughs> Where like De Niro, yes, has there's a little more of an edge. Yeah, and it I, could be. Yeah. unfair because I mean De Niro has his career up to that point I'd seen so many more De Niro movies than Robert Forster movies so Robert Forster was kind of a blank slate for me with Jackie Brown it was like well and that's part of it too mm -hmm. like if it were someone as high profile at that time like De Niro it'd be like I don't know it would it would it would be hard to just see the Max Cherry character as Max Cherry and not see it as like oh it's De Niro yeah that's and you don't <laughs> want to upstage Pam Greer either no that I too that too I too. like that she kind of still gets to have like not the upper hand but like she just kind of gets to shine a little more because she's not being like outshined by some bigger star 97 you know like a bigger star would be yeah, De Niro or even Gene Hackman or try, I can't remember the other names they threw around. Maybe Warren Beatty was like a name they threw around, but like Paul Newman, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've heard yeah. Paul Newman. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, the, the, the thing about those guys though is that I feel like they would be. I'm specifically talking about <clears throat> Newman and Hackman. They just seemed too old for me at that time. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that too. Of their yeah. lives and like, I think, and I think too. With with Robert Forster, you get like also another. He didn't have like the, necessarily the 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 highest profile exploitation career that Pam Greer had, but he had like walking the edge up until that point. Yes. Vigilante, which you were talking about, Carmelita. Um, and I think there's a, a little less ego with Robert Forster as well, because even in his younger movies, like I remember there's a scene, because I saw Alligator shortly after he passed away a couple of years ago for the first time. And there's that there I think if I remember correctly there's a scene where like he's talking about his receding hairline with like oh, yeah. a woman in the movie <laughs> and they they do that here like in a different way like and I just don't think I buy that dialogue with with De Niro and I I would have to think that dialogue would have to be informed by Robert Forster the person informing Robert Forster the performance mm -hmm. that's what I would think yeah, they might have, like changed the insecurity to something else. It was somebody else, you know. It's like, it's like his hair has been a thing. I was gonna, I was thinking about this. Like, that makes them feel more like real people. That I love about Max Cherry and Jackie Brad. Max Cherry, in particular, like he seems very comfortable with himself. Like because he says that as much as like, like you know, he's like getting older. It's like whatever, you know. He's like you get older. It's fine. He's like, and I, my hair was thinning. 
fix my hair. I feel better. I like it's like it's all no big deal to him. He has like his own stuff he does by himself, like goes to the movies by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like he can sit around like the mall and like read a book by himself. Like this is stuff that <laughs> when I'm like 15, I don't get. I'm like, I don't yeah. care about middle-aged people in love. I don't get about hanging out by yourself, but this looks lame. And now I'm like, seems like a great day, Robert Forrester. <laughs> like go to the movie <laughs> by yourself. Yes. Sit in the food court. Um, Take yourself out to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you know. Also, yeah, I was nostalgic from all food courts watching this. I was like, that used yeah, to be this the, is these that are the things the that grown ups do. Yeah, this, I know this is like very grown up. It's like, <laughs> and uh, like fifteen, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Where's the shooting and the killing? <laughs> also, is this like the lowest body count Tarantino movie? Because it's, I think it might be four people. If I'm Beaumont, it's Lewis, it's uh. Bridget Fonda's character again. It's like Melanie. Uh, Melanie, Sam Jackson. Am I missing anybody? How many people die in uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs? Like how many? Basically everybody. <laughs> like uh, a few, I think, are off camera. Like yeah, okay. like okay. you don't see Mr. Blue die. He just or like Brown, right? Or Brown, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does get shot. That's Tarantino, right? Yeah, you see him get shot <laughs> yeah, in the car. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. I think at least least five there's the cop right there's like the, oh you're right because there's that there's shootout like, after there's at least there's scene. at least you're four right. at the, like yeah there's at least so i was just thinking like wow yeah this is because there's it's not the as least many bloody pop- for sure oh least bloody for sure yeah he pulls away from the violence like melanie gets yes. shot falls out of frame you don't see any blood um lewis gets shot there's like the spatter of blood beaumont you're so far away you can't see anything right um, i like how he does that sequence too that's with diegetic music it's like Chris and then Tucker's Tim, voice, like yep. yeah, like <laughs> hey motherfucker, let me hit my goddamn head. Like it's such. It's a good Chris me Tucker. Me and my friend uh, quote that all the time. I, yeah. I'm always like, oh hey Chris Tucker, oh bye Chris Tucker. Like I forget how, <laughs> how quickly oh, no. and he exits the movie. He's so good in that like few minutes, but then he's gone. Um, Never yeah, get in then, the trunk of the car. No, what a, I was like, what an idiot. <laughs> I don't care what story they tell you. Tim Jackson's like, just trust me. Just yeah, get in the trunk that's already lined with some stuff. Um, I thought that was funny this time. I was like, "What an idiot!" But yeah, it's like well, Odell's um, so convincing, though. Like he's just I mean, like, and like, he's a little like, threatening. Like we said, a little menacing. It's like, listen, Sam Jackson tells me to get in a trunk. I probably get in the trunk too. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> I agree, um, it's stupid, but it's just like when Sam Jackson's like, "I can't believe you do me like this." Yeah, that's what's like. Bring him back, you bailed him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I paid thousand yeah. dollars. Um, and then at the end, when Sam Jackson gets it, that's barely anything. Like, and I can't think of anyone else that yeah. dies. So he really yeah. pulls back on that. I think that might have been, maybe he didn't think about it that much, but like a reaction to everyone saying his first movies are so violent. He's like, well, I can do this without a whole bunch of violence. And then there's less pop culture references. There are a few, the music stuff, obviously, but it's not like people are going around talking about hamburgers and movies and like made up like TV shows. And... Yeah, at the beginning, like when you first meet Ordell and Lewis on the couch, like he mentions like, he mentions John Woo's the killer, he like all the killer, all yeah. Them, all them talk about the killer, and yeah, there's a Is that few Rucker Howard. Like... No, it's Helmut Berger. You know, little things. <laughs> That's the yeah, yeah. That one, I was like, okay, there's Tarantino. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a few, get, but uh, you get but flourishes, yeah, but yeah. I feel like he pulls back on some of the stuff that people maybe not even criticize him for, but thought he was known for, which is like it's a lot of violence, a lot of pop culture references, and he's like, well, how about I pull back on those and like, you know, and then people don't respond that well, like that that thing. The Charlie Rose panel with the critics. I feel like one critic told him to his face, like, "I thought it was a little long, like a little meander." 
Tarantino's <laughs> like, and he said, we're always complaining about this. Just he's wait like, for the hateful eight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, Tarantino's like, aren't you always complaining about how movies now are like shorten people's <laughs> attention spans? He's like, he's like, I'm trying to do a throwback to older movies that like, you know, let people be patient, hang out with the characters. And and the one, there's a female critic who won't even say what she thinks of the movie to his face. She's like, I just don't talk to directors of the movies to their face. And that was funny. And they're really pushing Howard. her. She's like, no, no. I was like, just say what you want to say. And Tarantino's like, come on, just say it. Like, and she won't do it. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, yeah, the critics, one guy's like, it's a little long, a little meandering. <laughs> just like, oh, and like these critics would probably be dying for a Jackie Brown in 2022. Like they would probably be so happy to see <laughs> like <laughs> this movie these now. These characters um, talk. They sound like people. Yeah. Yeah. They have yes. conversations. They do normal shit that doesn't constantly drive the plot like the tarantino says like yeah the plot doesn't even come into play to like an hour ish into the movie like and then that may be why the first time viewing the movie doesn't really hit for a lot of people because you know i'm first time watching a movie i'm like where's this going what are we doing like but once you get past that and you kind of know where we're headed you can enjoy the little stuff along the way more like you know the destination you can enjoy the journey i think <laughs> like because the first time i was like what is this movie about where's it going like what's the point um and then it like now i just enjoy it for being like the little stuff like the stuff this time i was laughing about how yeah lewis getting frustrated with melanie and th that quick shot of like he's sitting next to her on the couch and she like pokes him with her foot and he's just like basically just, <laughs> just like pissed yeah. off at her yeah. um just so i mean there's so many little things all the stuff with like robert forster and jackie um and pam greer falling in love when he go I, when he goes to buy the tape quick little scene love it like just but just says so much um my heart swells every time I, <laughs> i'm just like oh so good and then you to jump precious. all the way back to the ending which i think we kind of started off with but the ending i in my mind mm. i think my mind i've made up a different ending because i could have sworn there was a shot where pam returns you turns the car around but that shot is not in the movie it's in my mind where i'm no, like well, <laughs> i'm like there's definitely i'm like that happens right no um the look so, on her face oh my god that <laughs> that final scene in the car listening to 110th street oh. and she's all the emotions going on her face you could tell there's like there's like relief and a little regret and like it's like there's all of this washes over her and she starts kind of singing along but you can tell in her eyes and her expression like <laughs> mm -hmm. the full range of emotions like yeah like at any moment she could whip this car around <laughs> or you know or I don't know. It's beautiful. <laughs> I want her to whip the car around. It's like, I, it's like, because I think at that point in my mind, if she goes back, because I think they both have a lot of feelings in that moment. If she goes back, they're going to like run into each other's arms or at least she, they're going to have a look and he's going to get in the car and go. I think that the, I, just the reality of her actually driving away. I think, I think he actually would go at that point. I'm telling you, this is, <laughs> I mean, Hey, again, <laughs> It's not, it's not wildly romantic like they sold us in Romeo and Juliet, but, you know, she could do that. She could whip the car around and, and maybe he goes with her and it's just not the right time. And then they break up mm -hmm. and then it's like this whole thing, but maybe this way she leaves knowing like, man, I'd like to see Max Cherry again. That's true. That's true. I do imagine she will fly back to LA and at some point and go visit him. <laughs> yes, like she's gonna send him that postcard from Madrid. And at some point she'll be back. 
and they'll catch up and maybe the timing's better and they stay together for years. That's way better than like, they like hook up for a month and the thing just completely falls apart because the timing is off and it's just not going to work. This is true love. This is no hookup. I don't get up. <laughs> but I, your idea is the other. Just, I, I can see that happening too. I'm where it's like, saying, like, she goes away for a while and eventually yes. like she knows where his business is. I don't think he's going to retire that soon. He's not going anywhere. He can come back. She can find him. If not, he'll be at the mall with a book probably. Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, <he'll> be, <laughs> like um, just imagine she walks into the mall after being gone for a couple of years and he's like coming out of them and she knows that's the kind of movie Max Cherry would have went to see today and like <laughs> meets him in front of the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. they, they could have a beautiful future when the time is right. Oh, well, I like that idea. <laughs> Good. I do too. Yeah. Um, you're, you're making the ending more positive than ever. I know. Ever well, either before. way, in my mind, it's, two things happen she immediately whips the car around and goes back and they both are like because <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like yes in the moment they both were like let's go our separate ways bye bye but you know kiss guys you know but then i think in the moment the reality of her really driving off and him really being sitting in the moment and being left alone yeah. it's like no i don't you immediately go no i don't want you to leave is what i think maybe would happen but yeah the other reality is what you said where it's like she goes away for a while she comes back they meet up then it's like then it works out for a long time it has to be one of those two things i need a happy ending with this movie. <laughs> So um, I just need that to happen. But um, I hate to rush us along, but it is getting very late in my time. <laughs> but is, oh, before it. we do the rankings, does anybody have anything else they really want to say about Jackie Brown? I, I have one, like one final thing to say about the ending, if that's cool. Okay, yeah. Do it. Um, I think the ending is beautiful because it, it's a, it's almost like a wraparound, but, but, but in, not in the, uh, not in the literal sense. So um, I think the the use of across 110th Street at the beginning of the film is really interesting because if you listen to the lyrics of that song, you know, trying to survive, like, you know, I've spent all my life doing this, like I'm in the ghetto, those kinds of things. And Jackie Pam's comes looking in- for a woman this week. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yep. No, literally like Jackie comes in in that kind of the graduate shot, you know, on that uh, conveyor belt. And then she like runs like throughout the remainder of the song, the remainder of the intro that is. And um, you, you, it, it, you know immediately, okay, like what her vibe is, what she, what her past might, may have been before details are pronounced throughout the film, those kinds of things. And what I love about the reuse of that song at, at the end of the film, when she's in the car, like Carmelita was saying, all of the intonations on her face, like, the way that like worry and fear and longing the way that becomes it's almost like she's finally commanding the lyrics in the song instead of just living them like she's finally beginning to overcome that stuff that she spent 40 years of her life dealing with as a black woman as a, 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 a someone who's been to jail as someone who's worked in the airfield and it's that powerful ending that even though I didn't necessarily pick up on all those things the first time I saw it, I think the reason why I fell so, I, 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 I just never saw a movie do that from the little movies I'd seen, particularly from, you know, this, this you know, this guy whose movies were about to rank. But um, I guess my final thoughts are, um, this is this is in my top five movies of all time, not just Tarantino movies, but just period. Um, 
it's possibly my favorite movie of the 90s i i love the fact that i feel honored the fact that matt you know brought brought me here uh, brought carmelita here as well um to help celebrate this movie and all the things it's it all the all the ways it means to us and what it possibly means to other people who are listening like if you haven't watched jackie brown in a long time um if you haven't watched it today that you're listening to this like go watch it you know it's <laughs> it's 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 wonderful um it's so brilliantly unassuming in just how amazing it is and you know regardless of how you feel about any of the actors the director you know where other movies have gone since this one i think just based on the fact that it is so sensitive it is so intimate of a true genre film and it remains performance piece um i think there's a lot to celebrate this year and other years moving forward wow very well said this is (laughs) (laughs) you guys are good at this podcast you think uh uh I, Carmelie, do you want to like you have anything else you want to say in Jackie Brown? Rap final thoughts or I mean all of that. And <laughs> did it <all> the <laughs> And you know, I it really struck me. I was thinking about this as I was re-watching it and writing up my notes, thinking about that 25 years. Thinking about how at the time it was made, you know, it was kind of this throwback to older films. But there is a timelessness to this movie in a way. And and it made me think about how, you know, when I, growing up, getting introduced to classic films and you would see something and you knew that it's this whole other generation, another era. But there's always like a timeless quality to those films or the characters or the themes they're exploring. And it's part of what makes watching a film that's 70 years old so incredible when it still resonates. And and I, I think I feel that way about Jackie Brown and I think it'll stand the test of time to continue to resonate and to continue to feel relevant and have that, that kind of timeless quality to it even though it's very clearly a movie from the 90s that's referencing movies from the 70s (laughs) but something about the way it was executed and and the story it's telling and the themes it's exploring that I I think it holds up in a way it's very different from some of the other films in Tarantino's Uh, filmography and from other filmmakers of the era like I could see this being one of those films that you can re I could revisit at every point in my life and still like feel something and and find something relatable and 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 just be able to like let the whole vibe of this film wash over me and let it transport me somewhere. I love that about this film. And I hope if there's anyone listening who hasn't watched it in a while, please go back and re- rewatch Jackie Brown. You will not be sorry. It's incredible. <laughs> 
ditto to what both of you said. Why <laughs> 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 so I bring on good guests? So I don't have to do anything. No, I was like, I don't have nice. to add to what you guys said. Um, it it truly is. It's gotten better every time I've watched it. I've only seen it maybe four or five times over the span of twenty five years. Um, I guess probably twenty when I first saw it. But like, and yeah, it's gotten better every time. It's a Tarantino movie that's grown the most that I appreciated the most after all this time. Like it's gotten better and better and better. Um, it's yeah, it's really good. I was going to say, I was going to make a joke about, yes, it feels very timeless. I think the two things that really date it as being 97 are people being at balls and Kangol hats. I think <laughs> if you, a lot of Kangol hats. I think Tarantino made That's a joke about true. the response. Kangol was like, take more hats. Like everybody was wearing Kangol. Like, uh, but they look great. I was like, bring that back. Like, bring that out. Jack, uh, Pam Greer. Ordell looks looks cool at least. Ordell oh, looks yeah. awesome. They, I mean, Pam Greer's rocking one. She looks super cool. He needs a little deep conditioning in that. In that, the hair is wild. We need to get into his hair situation. <laughs> he needs <laughs> like, a little deep conditioning, but yes, he does but, overall yeah. look very cool. They, him and Pam Greer both rock a kangle. She rocks a lot of great looks. Uh, she's amazing. I, like we said earlier, I, I was so just, again, Pam upset. Pam Greer could like, wear anything. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's it's so funny when Robert Forrester sees her and comes out of jail, she thinks she looks terrible. And he's like, still blown away by her. Like, she still doesn't look bad. I know she's like disheveled and like whatever, but, um, you know, that's love at first sight. He's, I don't Pam care. Greer disheveled is like, it's still it's still Some people i'm just best. saying like, man I, I had a i have a crush on on pam greer in this movie i'm just saying like it's it's a thing so who doesn't yeah. it's what i want no she's amazing <laughs> she yeah she's amazing. that uh i got I, to um i got to see her at like a meet and greet autograph thing oh. maybe about oh. a decade ago at the castro theater they were doing a screening of coffee and she was doing uh autographs and the line was like i mean we still <laughs> that line forever but I would do it a hundred times over wow. just to like be in her presence. <laughs> That's amazing. Was it just, like a, I was totally starstruck. Was it like a quick, like she just kind of signed your thing? And yeah. The, yeah. The line was so long. Yeah. Yeah. It oh, was yeah. a very quick, you know, Hey, how you doing? Queer. Thank you so much for coming to San Francisco. I'm <laughs> jealous. Though, like, just to be in her presence is oh, yeah, yeah, amazing. That's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah. great. Yeah, she's, it's she's she's an incredible person on screen and off. Yeah, her, it's it's not just her physical beauty. It's her intelligence. It's her composure. It's the way oh, she yeah. carries herself. Like. It's all of that. She's like this whole package. Yeah, yeah. I just she just that. like radiates something. It's like this aura, like she feels like a star. You just want to be around her <laughs> like she's just super cool yeah oh yeah, yeah. Like, she, are you guys she... listening no go ahead oh oh i was just gonna say uh oh were you about to bring up the plot thickens yeah, yeah. someone just turned me on to that i just started listening oh, to it. i don't even know what that is in our podcast it, it's a yeah tcm, TCM. Uh, oh okay okay tcm sponsored podcast it's on all the streaming apps and like they're doing a series uh, I don't know if they're completed yet or what, but they're doing a a, a pretty uh, uh, robust series on where they're interviewing Pam Greer and they're about all the all the periods of her life. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Shout out okay. to Kristen Lipska from the Cult Movies podcast because she turned me on to it and required listening. If you're a Pam Greer fan, 
it's so cool to hear her talk about her life and her work and other people that she's worked with talking and talking about the movies they made and the era. And it's great. It's really good. Okay. I think I'm going to check this out now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was going to say, so we, I think, yeah, someone said this earlier too, like the more movies Tarantino's made, I feel like this feels more special in his filmography because it really feels different. And yeah, watching it this time, it really feels different for him. And I really like that because it just has a special place in his filmography. Um, and last question before you, the rankings, can you guys name your favorite song on the soundtrack? I will go first if you need a minute. Mine's very easy. <laughs> oh, very... mine. Oh, I'm going to have to think about mine. Uh, <gasps> mine's uh, Strawberry Johnson 23. Oh. Great song. Yep. I looked yeah. at it. I was like, wait, who does this again? And then like, I had it on like, because weirdly enough, I don't own, I was like, where the fuck's my Blu-ray? I couldn't find my Blu-ray. So I had to rent it on Amazon Prime. But I was like, what song is this? And it was like, has that on the little information. I was like, it's a good song. <laughs> like, um, the soundtrack I, is stacked. It's so It is good. really, it's tough. And, I just, yeah. And the cool thing about that song is that, um, uh, I believe uh, one of the brothers, Johnson, uh, his name, oh goodness, he has a whole, his debut album is like amazing. Like he, uh, me, uh, my, my buddy, shout out to Nathan Williams, if you're listening, he, uh, he put me on to that person's album and it's, it's fantastic. If, if you're a big music head, if you're into the, the 70s blues kind of thing, it's, it's a great record. Um, I think his name is like, uh, I don't want to say Sticky Johnson. I'm just I'm making <laughs> some shit up, but um oh, great song it's my favorite track on the album and yeah so good uh i'm gonna go across 110th street because it, it's just a it's a song i love even you know outside of jackie brown but that was probably the first time i heard it i'm sure but it's a great it's such a catchy song like it gets me so like hyped every time I hear it. <laughs> like just that way that music comes in like ba -da -ba -da -ba, it's like and then the opening so <laughs> That's my best impression. Uh, <laughs> take that as you will. Um, just how it hits, it hits so good. And it's like, they, oh, it's so well used in the opening. Such a great opening. And the ending when they bring it back and she's like quietly singing, mouthing it basically. And it's mm. like, comes full circle. I just love that song so much in general. I think it's so catchy and it's just, yeah, it's so good. So that'd be my really obvious pick. But Carmelita, do you have a pick? So, man. <laughs> It's, it's, it's between a it's between a couple because but no it's i think gotta i know be natural high it's, it's okay natural yeah, yeah. High i thought somebody was gonna pick that yeah. and, and here's the thing so let me take you back <laughs> so my hometown like the local radio station they would do slow jams on saturday nights they would do oldies on sunday nights like love dedications love oh, jams uh -huh. and stuff and like everyone would listen to this stuff and it would be like <laughs> dedications. And my favorite was the prison dedications because <laughs> Selena's Valley prison, <laughs> Selena's Valley prison is, is, is in the County, not in my hometown, but it's in the same County. Uh -huh. So you get like prison dedications and you know, and like you would listen, like if anyone you knew had dedicated a song to somebody else oh, you knew. And uh -huh. like, <laughs> I was supposed to go to bed, but then, and I didn't have headphones. So what I would do is I'd get my boom box, I'd get my boom box and I would put it under my pillow because I shared a room with my sister. Oh. And I would put the boom box under my pillow so I could listen to the radio and not wake up the rest of the house. Wow. So it's listen clever. To, to yeah. listen to slow jams and oldies on the weekends, late night. And this song is one of those, like, 
like you were like in love with this guy and he doesn't even notice you <laughs> or you know whatever and you're like staying up listening to the oldies and the slow jams and natural high by blood so comes on and you're just like i'm just trying to be next to you kind of thing like so, <laughs> so when this song oh. comes on in that part in this movie it brings back I'm memories. Like, yes, I know exactly what that is. Because I've been there <laughs> in the dark oh. with the boombox under my pillow listening to Natural High pining after some guy who doesn't even know I'm alive. So, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Natural that was a great high. story. I it's, it's a, a great story. song. It's an amazing song. It's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. I like we all had different picks. That was good. Um, okay. <laughs> now. The time we're all, I'm sure we're all excited about this, uh, to do our Tarantino rankings. <laughs> okay. Who wants, I figured I just let somebody go first and just go from like your least favorite number nine to number one. Um, we clarified this, the three of us earlier, people know, like <laughs> we're doing, we're doing nine movies, his nine movies, Kill Bill counting as one movie, not the two chapters separately. Cause I guess that's how he counts it, which, you know supposed to be one movie nobody was we can't do a four-hour revenge movie so so yeah um i think yes yeah, and no no four rooms can't think what else would qualify but yeah we we know the nine go i'm so curious to hear these lists like i know i know your number ones but i have no idea really what <laughs> nine through two will be so should, should this i go is what first? i think yeah i think one of you <laughs> should go first i'll go in the middle okay and the, the, because that way, like, it'll be positive on either side. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then the takes that are going to piss everybody off in the middle, but they'll forget about that once the last person goes. It's like a, it's like a compliment sandwich. Is that what they call it? Where someone like gives you, yes. gives you a compliment, then a negative, then a compliment where it's like, but it's yes. wedged in between two compliments. So it's okay. It's that. Yeah. It's like mixed okay. in with like all the other, all, other I think stuff. It's like a um, office thing where they're like, I'm going to give you two positives, but negative sandwich in between. <laughs> like, okay. Yes. I like that playing Carmelita. Uh, well, Preston, I feel like I'll, <laughs> I'll go last. Cause I'm the host. I feel like I always go last. So you can go, you can go first. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um, so I'm going from least favorite to favorite. Least favorite to favorite. Correct. I always find it more interesting that way. Oh, this time maybe not because you both revealed your number one. But, but yeah. Um, well, I think our second favorites are going to be pretty interesting because okay, yeah, yeah I don't know the top what three else. really. The top, yeah, honestly, yeah. I think you you can tell a lot about someone from the top three. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> all right. So my least favorite Tarantino movie. Um, I'm going to go Hateful Eight. Okay. Um. <laughs> Do we say reasons or do you just want us to read I, off? I don't know. Cause I feel like we're all going to list the same movies I and mean, we can kind of, I guess, talk about it, but yeah, we don't have to go through every single one and be like, this is why I don't like this. Why I don't like that. <laughs> like, okay, that's, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> um, so my number nine is hateful eight. My number eight is death proof. Okay. Um, <laughs> my number seven is Django Unchained. Number six is Pulp Fiction. What? <laughs> number my six? Number... Oh, keep going. Keep going. Okay, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. My number I'm get five. My, my balance. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> my number five is Reservoir Dogs. Wow. Okay. My number my number four is Inglorious Bastards. My number three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And my number two is Kill Bill. Okay. And nice. your number one is. Jackie Brown, Jackie which we established. Brown. Okay. Wow. The Pulp Fiction. Every we're pretty similar 
to a point, and then the Pulp Fiction one like threw me for a loop. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm see now is now is when I'll ask questions. I said that, but like Reservoir Dogs ahead of Pulp Fiction, that one really surprises me because I feel like what what is it? Do you think you like more about Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction? Because I feel like that's such to me, it's like a big jump in for him, like from one to the other. Mm-hmm. So I'm just surprised. You just like just go ahead. I'll explain <laughs> explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> question not to you. interrogate you but <laughs> no um first off i i love i love pulp fiction i figured i was just like yeah I'm yeah yeah i love pulp fiction um i think it's a perfect movie i think it's one of the greatest movies of all time but the thing about reservoir dogs is that it's his tightest film and i i i feel if i'm gonna get down to my top five if presumably hypothetically speaking if i had five qt movies on an island and they were my desert island qts i'm picking it's like picking kids but i'm picking reservoir dogs and (laughs) and because i do have an affinity for the the theatricality of it the fact that it's it's i appreciate how how much of the dialogue is engaging how much information he's funneling through said dialogue um through all these locations and also admire that the film isn't really about shit like I feel like (laughs) I feel like I do I might I might not feel as aggressively as Carmelita does about his revenge (laughs) fantasy era but but at the same time, anytime I, I rewatch Reservoir Dogs, like it puts me, it's almost like it's putting me in a frame, in, in a frame of mind where it's like, okay, this is a fresh filmmaker. He's finding his voice. He's, he's, it's not quite all there. Like the imperfections of it come from the lack of production value, which I, I like that. Like I like, I like punk music. Like I like the fact that um, he's like playing tunes and they're not all in sync but the performances are there. Like Tarantino is one of the best directors when it comes to actors, not just dialogue. And people sleep on, the, on those inclinations of him. And I think from an early, literally from an early age, the fact that he had Keitel in a room with Buscemi, you know, Michael Madsen, all these different people. Um, while he's not, he's being so ballsy to not show you the heist in a heist movie. Mm-hmm. That to me draws me in more than Pulp Fiction does where I, as much as I love Pulp Fiction, I don't think I'm as emotionally invested as some of those other Tarantino movies I just mentioned. So that's why it, it barely edges out the top five, but that top five, it's, it's a, regardless of how you feel about those movies that I might enjoy more, which I do, unfortunately. <laughs> um <laughs> Just had to step on you there, Matt. It's uh, fine. No, it's I was just I was just very curious because, but I see if you like that, it's more stripped down, indie aesthetic. Like you like the performances. It is. I I forgot. Like yeah, it's like his shortest movie by a lot. Because after that, it's like ninety nine minutes. And after that, it's like yep. two and a half hours, two and a half hours, two and a half hours. Like even the longer version of Death Proof was almost two hours. Like the of course the Grindhouse version is like hour and a half tight. But like there's the other. Have you seen both versions by the way? I don't know if oh, I actually Ryan have some death proof. Um, yeah, of like the yeah, longer version, death proof, the shorter version. I have. I do. I do. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't. I'm like questioning myself. I'm like, did I see both? I, I think I definitely like the shorter cut more. I don't know. I don't. That I do. movie does not need to be almost two hours for what it is. It's not. It should not be a two hour movie. <laughs> um, no, just. 
that's not so negative, but it's no. like it's a tight exploitation movie. Like it's not supposed to be sprawling two hour, you know. Um, so yeah, okay. I was okay, that makes sense. I just had to ask because to me it was like I saw Reservoir Dogs first, and then I was like, oh, this is amazing, mind-blowing. And then it was like Pulp Fiction. I was like, well, this is the next step, this quantum leap from like <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. Like, um, but yeah, I was just I'm always so curious when someone puts that above. Pulp Fiction, but the reasons you said make sense. If that's what you like, that's what you like. So, like how Carmelita does not like revisionist revenge fantasies. <laughs> like, so do you want to go? Okay, that was all right. That was interesting because we were uh, we were pretty aligned to a point there. So, um, but Carmelita, are you ready to do this? I'm about <laughs> so, to burn this house down. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's so, great too because so, your eyes looked like kind of like crazy. Like they got big when you're like, I'm gonna burn this house. Down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited. I, it's funny because I love Tarantino, but I'm excited to hear you like, I guess maybe shit on him. I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, no, no, no. So, here's, here's, so here's the thing. I, I'm going to say this. For me to rank these nine, this is a very kind of raw, rough kind of ranking. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you right now. After Death Proof, all the films after Death Proof, I've only seen one time each. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Two <laughs> of the films I just saw for the first time in the last week because I had actively avoided them. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, so everything after Death Proof... I'm making my determinations here based on like first impression, first watch. Mm-hmm. Maybe at some point, some of these I will revisit. And over time, this ranking might change. Probably not by a lot, <laughs> but you never know. We continue to grow and change. So, so keep that in mind, folks. Keep that in mind. <laughs> so... I put Death Proof as number nine in part because I didn't have time to rewatch it. And I watched it a couple of times when it first came out, but I remember like next to nothing. It left not much of an impression on me. This was the point. This this was the point where, you know, we came to the fork in the road and Tarantino went that way and I went the other way and I was just kind of (laughs) waving like, okay, I'll catch you later. See you later. It's kind of like that. So death proof nine. Okay. This, this right here, this is, this is the one that's going to get me hate mail. This is the one that people are going to be like, I will never invite her back on my podcast. Fine. (laughs) Be like that. Suit yourself. (laughs) Inglorious bastards is eight for me. I knew that was coming from the conversation earlier. I absolutely hated it. I didn't know it was a hatred. I didn't know. Wow. I really did not like this movie. I was not feeling wow. it. No. I was not feeling it. And hey, I'm all for violence directed against fascists. Trust me on this. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> it was controversial when it came out. The tone, the tone just did not work for me. The, the humor in this just did not, it just didn't work for me. So mm-hmm. I get why everyone else loves it. This was just, this was just not my thing. But people are people are gonna have a hard <laughs> time stomaching that. Oh, 
I understand you can do like Preston did and you can go hate watch it after you listen to this. For Carmelita. You can go watch it for, for Carmelita. Exactly. Go ahead and do that. Everyone can go ahead and do that. Uh, number seven, Hateful Eight. Number six, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And this, this mm-hmm. one I struggled with because when I walked out of the movie theater after seeing this, like I was, I felt really weird. Like, like there was so much about the film that I really appreciated and thought was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and there was also, and maybe it was because I was sitting in a movie theater and I couldn't pause it to go take a break and go get <laughs> a snack or go to the bathroom. Like it felt kind of long. And so mm-hmm. like at the end of that, I was like, Oh man, like where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> and then when it got there and it was the revisionist revenge fantasy history trip, then I was mad. <laughs> it does so, go in glorious at the end, yeah. It does. Like it's a very it's a very sharp left turn. It you yeah. had me with the with this love letter to Los Angeles. You had me with this look at like this budding career of Sharon. T- I was for all of that. I was for all of that. And then it it just went in that direction that doesn't work for me. So at some point I will rewatch it when I have like when I can just <laughs> sit down yeah. and like really focus and you know. Maybe so you can just like it might, it stop it when it gets to that one point you don't like and just say the yes. End. And just like... oh, we, oh, we might have to. <laughs> Movie so over. You're going to pause yeah. it. You're going to be like, wow, eight hours. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So number five. And this surprised me because this film I just saw for the first time this last week. Django Unchained. Huh. For yeah. some reason... Like, I think I had built up in my mind that this was going to be like what I had heard about in Glorious Bastards, only slavery. But I don't know. I I actually ended up really enjoying this. It was not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the things about this film that are controversial and offensive to some people completely makes sense (laughs) like I can see it I think I think maybe with this one I was expecting it I was expecting the worst oh yeah yeah but I was really pleasantly surprised that I actually really enjoyed watching this movie (laughs) and this is I really did when you brought this up you're like oh I I thought you maybe said to me there was gonna be revisionist history and I was thinking to myself, like, I don't think there's any actual historical figures. Right, right. Like, it's not like the Hitler thing. It's obviously real events, like things that happen in America. Yeah, but it's like, very real. And yeah, but yeah. not anybody. I don't think it's historical figures. It's like he made up a story that happens during this time. And then Django kills a bunch of slave owners. Like, I don't think it's a spoiler. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That movie played like freaking gangbusters. I think it also came out on Christmas in 2012. Mm, it did. I saw and- it. Me and my buddies, Christmas week, <laughs> Christmas day, uh, we I, saw that. Uh, me and my uh, my friend, uh, they're both brothers, so, uh, and we were hooting and hollering. We had a, a, a great time. <laughs> my theater, yeah, I went Christmas day too, 
and my theater was like losing their minds. They loved it. Like, especially by the ending, it was like people were just, yeah, hoot and holler. And it was yeah. like played so well. <laughs> I think part of it too, with this one, I think one of the things about Django that worked for me that didn't work for me with Inglorious Bastards is that in Django, you have a couple of core characters who do feel more like real people. Mm -hmm. I can agree with that. Yeah. And a, and a relationship where they they have a connection and a partnership. Whereas for me, Inglorious Bastards felt just like caricatures all over the place. Like nobody <laughs> that I could like really, like no character that I could really feel for. Whereas in Django, I think you have, you know, these two men working together and forming this very special uh, partnership. And I, I felt that, I don't, that would just worked better for me. It has uh, more of a Butch and Son than, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, yes, exactly. Yeah, that worked for that worked better for me. Um, mm -hmm. So, but I've only seen it the one time. I'm curious. I will. I would watch it again. I will watch it again. And I'll, I'm curious to see where it goes in my rankings on repeated viewings. Uh, four was Kill Bill. Uh, so this two and three is tricky. Mm -hmm. I I rewatched these, and I I was. So I'm putting Reservoir Dogs three, but I want you to know that when I was rewatching these, like I rewatched Reservoir Dogs, I was like, I think Reservoir Dogs is my number two. Like as I was watching it, I was like, no, I think it's my number two. And then I watched Pulp Fiction. I was like, no, Pulp Fiction is my number two. And I kept the whole rest of the next day was kind of like, which one? <laughs> so I, so I, I'm going with Reservoir Dogs 3 and Pulp Fiction 2, but I honestly believe for me, they're almost kind of tied for second place. That makes for, sense. For that different makes sense. reasons. Almost my and, two and, and three of, actually are tied in my mind, basically. Yeah. And some of this is some of this is sentimental, what those films meant to me when they came out. Mm -hmm. um, some of it is I, there's the strength of, those kind of the vignette style of Pulp Fiction, the very cool heist movie without the heist and the different perspectives that you see. I, that was, it was something that I think Tarantino did really well was those like have a vignette, a scene, mm -hmm. yeah, you know? And, and I love that about those films. And then of course my number one is Jackie Brown. Okay. With As a bullet, like it's like by a mile. Now. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, nothing wrong with that. Definitely, like like Robert Force said, is like, hey, nothing, ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it's funny because yeah, this is good now because mine's kind of different. The bottom of ours are all kind of the same, but the top five I think are different. So we're all this agreed. Number nine, Death Proof. It's it's just boy, was I disappointed when I first saw Death Proof. I was like, oof, I did not like it. I've come around to it a bit. And I can definitely enjoy it amongst the package that is Grindhouse altogether. But like, yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, oof, I don't know about this. Like, very disappointed. And it's gotten better, but it's still, that's the one I just think is like of his that I think is good. Everything else I think is great. That's why it's hard to rank these two. And it's mm -hmm. like, then it's great. Um, number eight is The Hateful Eight. It's a movie I've grown on multiple rewatches. Because first I was kind of disappointed in it, but it's gotten better. Number seven this hurts me to put this low. This is a great movie. Django Unchained is seven. But I was like, that's the that one where I was like, seven. I'm putting Django yeah. at seven? I was like, this is such a good movie. Um, number six is Reservoir Dogs. 
number five, a movie that's kind of lost a little bit for me over the years, but it was mm. such like a like shock to the system when I was a teenager, and it was so like exciting, and it's like it's it's lost a little bit of its luster. I feel I think it's great, but yeah, um, Jackie Brown at number five moving up above reservoir dogs this time <laughs> that was new i was like you got to go up on jackie brown <laughs> like you know, <laughs> you're in the top five now um number four glorious bastards sorry carmelita uh <laughs> i think that movie we me, me and Lindsay did a podcast on it like early yeah this year, i think um i think it has a few of his best directed sequences i think the opening is amazing i think i was like the restraint he shows that opening uh, the scene underneath the bar is so tense. Oh, a fastbender, yeah. You know, a fastbender. Oh my God, I tell you, there's some good stuff. I understand. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, got some great stuff. Um, <laughs> this is tough. My three and two are. Really... I respect you. You're my friend. <laughs> Go ahead. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm not gonna tell you to rewatch it. Just saying, like, point out those things I think are great. My two and three, I don't even. I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, is this right? But, um. My number three is Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair. Um, oh, Kill Bill question. Do you prefer chapter one or, or volume one or volume two? Or do you just think of them all as one thing now? I think of it as all one thing, but if I'm being honest, I do prefer volume two. Because... <laughs> um... <laughs> Carmelita's face, just like she's really out of thinking over there. No, I'm really thinking about it. Please continue. Okay, okay. You go first. <laughs> well, because like... And y'all can probably tell from like my ranking, like I I have a an affinity for like t that messy, scraggly Tarantino. Like I look at it as like okay, like when Jackie Brown comes out of jail and she's all disheveled, like that's the Tarantino I like <laughs> the most for some reason. And I don't have a I wish I had a rational reason for like why my heart is with that Tarantino versus like <laughs> those early stuff. But I don't know, man. Like. I think that in, in the fact that even though I get the complaints of volume two, like it is, it feels longer than volume one, but I think the fact that I am such a Leone fan and a Western fan, it, it, the iconography and the pace plays into those sensibilities and it delivers the emotional beats that had volume two not exist, volume one just would not have. Like, I think it improves the, the first half and that's what I want out of, the better second half of a four-hour movie <laughs> yeah i mean they, it's it's hard to separate them now as when i was younger i was all about volume one i was like yeah, volume yeah. two is boring like action volume one is so action-packed like it's so oh, yeah. front-loaded with the action that friggin mm. uh last set piece house of blue leaves is like insane like i just i was so obsessed with that whole the crazy 88s fight is oh my god mm. one of the best of the so era good um so yeah, but now I, I just I can't even like separate them. And saying like a couple things in Glorious Bastards were the best things ever shot. I think maybe one of the best things ever written is that that kind of back and forth conversation with Bill and the bride at the end and his mm. Superman speech. It's mm, <laughs> so good. It's so good. Um, you will always be a killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, Carmelita, do you have a, a volume one or volume two preference? I think at this point, I really do think of it like yeah. all is of a piece. And it's very rare that I watch, like when I rewatch them, it's very rare that I would watch them separately. Yeah, I'm not going to just pop on 
one with everything. I may catch like part of one on TV, but right. like Same. I'm not yeah. going to be like I'm just going to watch volume two today. That would be insane to me. <laughs> like, right. And then if I watch volume one, the way volume one ends, even though I know what's going to happen, I'm like I can't stop now. Like you know, it's like it's her daughter. You know, her daughter's still alive. I was like in the yeah, theater. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just too hard to separate them. I, I guess. I mean, put a gun to my head. I'd probably be more likely to just watch one as a standalone because I can deal with the ambiguity right, of an yeah, ending yeah, yeah. or like, mm-hmm. you know, the trailing off of an ending. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to think of them separately at this point. Yeah, I was just curious because I know that was like, but now I think it's such a thing to combine them that people kind of don't even talk about them <laughs> being, you know, separate. But um, mm-hmm. number two, surprising myself uh <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood which is not that old and i've watched it like five times since 2019 mm. <laughs> like i find it so rewatchable it's crazy like i just can throw it on whenever it's yeah i just find it so rewatchable and number one surprising nobody pulp fiction <laughs> like <laughs> this has been nothing yeah i mean it's funny because I was just thinking the other day because they did the sight and sound poll and everyone mm-hmm. was making their own top 10 sight and sound thing. And I was trying to make one. And I was like, well, if I made one of these, I would try to like pick movies I genuinely love and I think are favorites. But I'd also try to take into account movies I think also are genuinely great. So no offense to Last Action Hero it would not make the sight and sound top 10. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I couldn't in good conscience put that on a list like that. But I was like, I was looking at the list and I was like, oh, I didn't add a Tarantino movie. And I was like, well, I, I Pulp Fiction is like, I'm not even, these days I'm not even sure that it's the best thing he's directed, but it's so nostalgic for me that like, mm-hmm. I can't say that it's not my number one, <laughs> like, uh, because it's the, it, the reason I'm doing this podcast, the reason I even tried to go to film school, the reason I love movies, like it just blew open the doors and I can't. I'm a very nostalgic person, as people probably know, that I can't, I can't, I'm not good at separating myself. I can't be like critical and be like, oh, well, I think Inglorious Bastards is better made. It's like, well, that won't ever matter. It's like Pulp Fiction is Pulp Fiction to me. And it's like a special place in my heart. So it's number one. It'll probably always be number one. I don't know. But Jackie Brown may <laughs> keep moving up. I can see Jackie Brown going ahead in Glorious Bastards. I don't know if it cracked the top three because that top three is like, untouchable to me that's yours like that's all right friends and (laughs) and there's something i i personally is like if you own that like yeah there's a sentimental oh yeah yeah (laughs) side to some of the picks i'm always the first i mean i'll be the first one to cop to that like yeah some of this is is about sentimentality it's about nostalgia some of it is about what the film has meant to me in my life, not just how technically proficient it is or, you know, whatever, but mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. If you cop to it, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> cop to it all day. Like that's I, when I started the podcast, it was like, I'm so interested in like hearing people's personal stories about movies. Like I like hearing people get analytical about movies. It's fun, but I'm way more interested in like, tell me about why do you love this movie? Where were you when you watched it? What does it mean to you? Like mm. that stuff should be so much more than like, I think this scene means loneliness. Or, you know what? It's like, like <laughs> I think the flower represents that. Like that's that's fun. That's all it needs to be done. It's a, a completely important oh, thing. That's funny. But like I just get so fascinated by people's like experiences, movies, and how they saw them and like why they're special to them and all that kind of thing. Um 
That's when you hear the most passion, I feel like. Oh, yeah. 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 and I kind of like, I was watching both of you as y'all both got to y'all's top threes. Like <laughs> the, the way that, especially you, Carmelita, the way you went from your bottom to like your top, like the smile that got like, that was all over your face. Like that was, uh, that was awesome. And like, I mean, Matt, you've talked about, you know, I got to see it live. Like you talk about Pulp Fiction and gush about it. Um, <laughs> I, I do have to ask you though, like, like I'm not gonna ask too many ranking questions one because I know it's late but um <laughs> so I'm curious since um now Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in your top three what puts it over some of those other Tarantino movies for you especially because it's so re- it's his most recent so I, trust me it surprised me too because I feel like I have like a I think I have like anti-recency bias Should they say people have recency bias I think like <laughs> If things are too new, I'm like, that can't be that high. That just came out like three years ago. Um, I'm the same way. I hesitate. Like, I don't want to build this up too much because I might feel differently down the line. Yeah. That's why I don't, it's so, I'm so weird about like movie ratings, like a letterbox. I'm like, I can't give this five stars. I just watched it once. Like, Like, it has to really blow me away. Like, cause I think you have to like earn the five stars. It's dumb, but it's my, so I, once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think when I first saw it in the theater, I liked it a lot. But like, I think I gave it like four stars in Letterboxd. And it kept creeping up. And now it's like a five star movie for me. Because like, it just, the fact that I watched it like five times in three years. So like, I don't really rewatch stuff too much. Like, mm-hmm. like especially that much in that short period of time. <laughs> like, um, and I was like, wow, I'm really rewatching this a lot. And it's not a short movie. Uh, no, it's, like, it's really not. Um, I remember I was on a plane, like a really long cross country. <laughs> that might be what it takes for uh, me to see it again. You're stuck on a plane. <laughs> oh, um, with with so and I was you like, you know me. I watch I watch Cleopatra four hour movie. I watch. I, I, I'm not afraid of long movies, but sure. I no. Yeah, I, I mean. It's how it feels. It's, it's the one like, like I said, Reservoir Dogs it, is like, you know? feels like it's almost losing a little bit of, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like an analogy. Like it's almost like a jug filled with water and there's been a hole poked in it. It's like slowly leaking and I'm losing a little. And I don't want that, I think, but I'm like, I don't want it. to. So I'm like, just put Reservoir Dogs on the shelf and don't, because I think the last one times I watched it, I was like, this isn't like hitting the same way as it used to. Um mm-hmm. But how is it going to hit the same way as when I was like 15? It's like impossible. No, but it's going to um, hit different. Yeah, but like, I, time in Hollywood, like, just the every time I watch it, it was like, it's getting better and better. It's like fun. It's really funny at times. Like, uh, I just, there's stuff that makes me laugh really hard in that movie. Um, love the characters. I just like, I don't know. I get wrapped up in it. It's a very like. Al Pacino, yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny because I had the same thought, like, so Jackie Brown earlier, were you watching Jackie Brown for a while the first time? You're like, where's this going? Like, where are we headed? Like, you may know there's like some kind of heist down the road or something, but like that was the same thing once on time in Hollywood. I'm like, how are we going to get to the end? What's the end game in this? Because it's like, I'm following Sharon Tate around, going to the movies. I'm following like a day in the life, basically, of these characters. I'm like, how are they going to converge? Where is it going to go? Takes that hard left turn. <laughs> where Carmelita is like, I'm out. Squealing, burn rubber. Yeah. Like, like, oh, this is where we're headed. She was Cliff Boothin in the car, just like <laughs> that, that <laughs> long, that long car scene. That was her. No. Yeah. yeah. It's almost um, like, yeah, it was one of those things where I'm like, <laughs> people say it's about like falling in love with people. I feel like at first you might not know, but then suddenly you're like, 
more and more time you spend with them and one day you're just like i think i love this person <laughs> like it's like I, that sometimes yeah yeah like it's a slow feeling that sudden realization of like i love this like the fifth time i watched or something i was like oh shit i think i love this movie <laughs> so um, <laughs> <laughs> i was like i mean i'm having a great time watching on a plane in the middle of the night on a red-eye flight cross country and it's like comforting to me i'm like okay i think i really like this movie because i even though no I movie. like other Tarantino movies, I wouldn't say any of them are comforting. Like, and this yeah. one is like weirdly comforting. I'm nostalgic for a time I wasn't even alive during. Like, that's it's like, you know, it's like I wasn't there, I wasn't alive, but I'm like, oh yeah, 60s California. I miss that. What am I talking about? So, oh, there you go. Long winded answer to that question. <laughs> no, no worries. I, I was just gonna say, like, it, no movie has grown on me more in the from from the last decade than that one it's it's super interesting like i i was i wasn't i think i was a little more positive than carmelita just a smidge like oh probably just, yeah just just, just, a, just a smidge like <laughs> again i really the the last bit did not leave a good taste in my mouth and i and that's coming from someone who loves like inglorious and django and stuff like that so but um I don't know, man. Like I, I've rewatched it multiple times. Like I even showed it to my family uh, a few months ago and they all went nuts for it. So I don't know. It's just, I like the vibes. I like the music. Yeah. Um, Cliff Booth's become one of my favorite characters ever. Like great character. I, you know, what's so funny about that movie too, despite you watch it with your family. I was thinking watching the movie, I was like, oh, I could recommend this to my mom and stepdad. They would love this. Like they remember the late 60s, you know, and then they got the ending came and I was like, nope, never mind. <laughs> my mom was like, see someone get like a paper cut in a movie and then like someone's getting their she face have, smashed. Yeah, she might have a hard time with that. You might pass out, honestly. <laughs> like, my mom does not handle violence well. Like a paper cut in a movie, she's like, ah, like she's still talking about how traumatic Alien was in 79 and it's all in the theater. <laughs> Like when that thing burst out of that man's chest, I almost screamed and ran out of the theater. She's like, she's like, I hated it. Your dad and his friends were hooting and hollering, and I was so pissed. <laughs> um, violence is not her thing. So as soon as that turn happened and it got that violent, I was like, whoo, never mind. I was like, they're not watching you this. You know, one. you'll appreciate this because Pulp Fiction is your favorite movie. <laughs> so one of the biggest selling points for Pulp Fiction for me when it came out was that my parents had gone to see it without us and they left <laughs> in the middle of the movie. Oh, wow. Huh. Vincent Vegas shoots up. My parents were out. They were like, this movie is filth. <laughs> and went home. <sighs> and I was like, oh, you guys walked out on this one because it was it was too like it too was much. too bad. It was just too much. I mean, I have to see that immediately. <laughs> I know that's a real selling point, especially when you're a teenager. Like, yeah. Uh, if, if my parents felt the need, they were so offended and disgusted that they had to walk out. Like, I mean, I'm going, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go is, see this movie. It's my mom describing every R rated action movie to me in the nineties. And I was like, I got to see this. It's like, what? <laughs> who gets their head blown off? Tell me more. <laughs> like, you're telling me Nicolas Cage and John Travolta swap faces? Tell me all about it. <laughs> so hyped. Uh, <laughs> I gotta see this. Um, man, I don't, this has been such a fun conversation. I already know. We're just talking about random stuff now. <laughs> so um, I guess I should wrap up. I think it's been almost. I mean, probably. Almost four hours, I think. Or written for three and a, it's oh, three wow. and a half hours. We're approaching Kill Bill whole bloody affair length here. <laughs> like, this is, 
Oh, oh my this is goodness. a Mark and Hayden episode, guys. What's happening? <laughs> like this is this is, hey, this is what happens of... when you invite both of us on. I feel like I did. I looked back this. at your Lawrence Arabia episode and I was like, I think it was like three and a half hours. No, it was that was a long episode. Like, so, I mean, it's a little bit that, but it's also it's Tarantino, and so we're not. There was no way we were just going to talk about Jackie Brown. Oh right, this was going to become a conversation. <laughs> that encompassed the man's filmography yeah once i knew that was happening i was like we're gonna be here for a while yeah. like camp out um because lindsay and i didn't talk about it <laughs> that, camp, that out. camp out uh hey i haven't put that many episodes out lately so people can catch up and now i'm gonna be yeah. a big supersized like episode there you go <laughs> like um, you know you can pause it and you could come back to it later that's a great thing about podcasts. You can just it's a great thing about podcasts. <laughs> Take your sweet time. I and now I can say as we're three and a half hours in, it was like my <laughs> my sneaky plan is to cover all the Tarantino movies, but like not like I did on Scottable, but like very slowly over time, like Ooh. one every six months, <laughs> just to kind of like space it out. Nice. But, but somebody suggested like do a series like on Scottable, and I was like, no, no, not again. <laughs> I was like, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I loved it, but I'm like, no. And then like. I'm just like, well, I'll do them. I'll do it like over time and spread them out. It'll yeah, be, more leisurely. Out. Yeah, more leisurely. I'll take care Is of it. Is it because of the volume of Tony Scott's work? Like, because like he made a lot of movies during his during his time. So. But not as much as you would think. It was only like 16, which is like. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And Spielberg's made like, I don't know, 38. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. So for comparison's right. sake, somebody's made a bunch of movies. Scorsese's probably made like 30 plus. Um, Tarantino only nine. So it would be easy. It's doable, um, very manageable number. But I'm like, eh. about plus I was like, who needs a Tarantino series? Like he's already been talked about a lot. <laughs> you know, it was like, who needs like a full like series like I did for Unscottable? Like that was a whole different thing. But I want to talk about his movies, but I just don't need to do like, I feel like a deep dive, you know, into yeah. it. Oh yeah, sure. Type thing. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to say. Um, random, way back, this is, I shouldn't bring this back up because we told a long time ago, but that interview on Charlie Rose, that you uh -huh. we talked about, <laughs> Carmel. You got to look at this. Did did Tarantino look like the healthiest and most put together you'd ever seen him? I felt like he had different hair. <laughs> I felt like he had nice he hair. Had hair, yeah. And he, yeah, he had like this, <laughs> someone had like colored his hair or like it looked nice. He was put together. He looked thin but like healthy. He was dressed. What year all, was like, this? This was like Jackson ninety seven. So okay. I think he back to the I think, thing. I think well, was it ninety eight or ninety seven? Because I don't know if it was the for the Oscars oh it might have been year? the beginning of ninety eight because they were talking yeah. about the movie and it was Christmas. But he I was like, who is this Tarantino? Because I've never seen him this like <laughs> put together and like he looked so healthy and like you know it was like he must have been in love and the the woman he was with like put him together got him so he was like <laughs> i was just about to say it's the jesse brown him. tarantino it's his most yeah, put together i've seen him his, a lot his, and his... this was i was just surprised his appearance <laughs> i was like what who is this um look at this guy um but uh like, what cologne are you wearing dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> interesting it's interesting um i don't know that was everything too someone was like do a tarantino series and i'm like sometimes I love the guy, but sometimes he does stuff where I'm like, just stop. Just don't talk anymore. <laughs> it's like a friend that you like. You, I love this friend, but man, sometimes they just can't. It's it's true. I mean, I had a moment watching Pulp Fiction again, oh, which I've seen it... <laughs> many, 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 many times. Is it his scene in the movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Storage. Yeah. Yeah. The, the use <laughs> of the N word, it's... you know, it's one thing. It's it's one thing, you know, Samuel L. Jackson can say it. Yeah. yeah. I don't care if Samuel Jackson says it a hundred times. 
in some of his historical pieces. And I almost kind of wonder if that's one of the reasons to do all these historical movies is because you can get away with the language <laughs> in a way you can't now. Because when he starts throwing that word around out of his own mouth, I I definitely like this last time I watched it was kind of like, Ugh. yeah, that was unnecessary. Yeah, that was a little <laughs> unnecessary, Quentin. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I felt oh. the same way watching it yesterday. And I mean, I've, I've felt that, I mean, to be honest, uh, being myself, uh, <laughs> I've felt that way multiple I times. Bet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and again, that's why um, I have internal conflicts about consuming his films. It's, it's funny because, goodness, like eight hours ago, I talked about John Ford. <laughs> and uh, but I'm over here, you know, stroking the ego of Tarantino, and he does stuff like this. Like, but I mean, that's that's actually why, because some people are going to ask, like, why Hate Late is my number nine. I think it was the only one who had that as my number nine. I, I do like the movie, to be honest. Um, but I do feel like I really feel length with that one more so than Death Proof, which is why I put it's Death Proof long. above it. It's it's long, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's not just that, but like the use of the n-word in that movie i find to be super incessant mm. like it's coming out of the mouth of bruce dern walton goggins like the, it's not just Tarantino right. at that point like he's oh, yeah, seeping yeah. into all these characters kurt russell at, at a point and i love kurt russell otherwise maybe not in that movie uh because i find his motivations to be kind of mixed uh, maybe that's a conversation for another day um and the way the movie ends i feel like it doesn't live up to Django's bombastic uh denouement um mm -hmm. i don't think it lives up to even though despite the tonal dissonance of once upon a time i don't feel like it lives up to that either because the difference between that and django and once upon a time is that i'm i love those characters in those movies whereas i'm not as love with them as hateful eight right and for me to not be as into your characters for like damn near you know, three hours and for it to explode into kind of a lame blood squib fest that, that really, that, that, that makes it me the least likely to revisit it. I've seen it about three times and it just, it gets worse for me every time. Sorry guys. But, <laughs> it's sorry fine. Listeners, I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's the, yeah. Like that scene in Pulp Fiction. I'm like, why did he give that dialogue to himself? And <laughs> why? Yeah. It's they try to I think soften it. You see her Bonnie for a second, and she's a black woman. I feel like he thinks that that, that correct. doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't. Change. Oh, I know, I know, it does not. But I think <laughs> if you that, read, yeah, no. if you well, if you watch the interviews for years and years, like you know what he's about. If you read the book, that new book he had, semi speculation. Um, this is my theory. I'm gonna pause. <laughs> tell me, someone, tell me if I'm wrong. But he has all these. <laughs> He has all these stories about going to the movies with different guys like his mom was dating. And most of the time they were black guys. And he went to black exploitation movies and hung out around black people. And he thinks, I think in his mind, I don't think it's right. I'm not defending him. I think he, oh boy, I gotta be, I think he wants to be black. I think he's always wanted to be a black man. And I think there's a weird, like, fantasy thing coming out with him sometimes like 
And I don't, so that's why, I don't, oh boy. So I don't think, I, I don't think, it, I definitely don't think it comes from a place of like hatred, but he shouldn't be doing it. But I think it is his weird, like, it's like he, it's so weird. Like how I think he has this idea that he wants to be cool, like a cool black guy. And it's like, Tarantino, you are not that. Like, you're, that's, it's like, I don't care how many times. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like, so I, if you watch enough interviews with him, he puts on, he does this weird thing I don't like at the all. Vernacular, the yeah. Vernacular, he puts on like an uh, accent. It was like a clip of him on BT, and I'm like, why is this no, your voice? It, it's, it, so that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, like I wore pedal because I'm like, in my, I truly don't think it comes from a place of like hatred, but I think it comes from a place of no, him being, I don't like, think ignorant. it's malicious. I don't think it's but... malicious, but it's wrong. So it's like, it's but yeah, like it was, yeah, it's like you have a, an amount of privilege. Yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you just hear him talk over the years and read the book. You're like, clearly this guy was imprinted on from a young age. Like he saw these movies. He hung around like, uh, you know, guys, he just he also sort of like, oh, I grew up watching black movies and I hung out with black people and like that's great but you're it's not you you have to recognize that you're not you're you're white Quincy <laughs> like so you don't get to do these things you don't get to say you know that word you don't get to like and I don't know I'm that's a weird place to be about like if you're a writer and you're writing like, like a slavery movie I imagine people would use that word but is it weird as a white guy to write it I don't it's like but him him putting it in his own mouth and Pulp Fiction gets worse and worse to me as the years yeah. go on and I just don't I don't think I've ever heard him even say why he did that <laughs> like I never heard him to, like, no I don't remember point blank like why are you in that scene Quentin saying those words um I don't know it's bizarre I think it's like <laughs> I've always thought he's um definitely kind of uh what's the word <laughs> eccentric that's I I just think he's I don't know. There's something I going definitely on. Agree with that. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I don't want to yeah. label like I don't want to label like a mental health thing and I'm wrong. Like you know maybe like Asperger, someone who has he's got weird social cues. You know what I mean? Or like he's mm-hmm. he's bad with social cues and things like that. Where it's like in his own mind he thinks it's okay because he's like oh I love this. I'm like this is a place of love. But it's like even if it's coming from a good place, you shouldn't do it. Is that's well, the best and, way I, can <laughs> I mean let let's say this. I, I'm gonna say this. You know, especially in the 90s, he was not the only one that was trying to get away with this in, oh, yeah, in yeah, pop yeah. culture, in music videos. It there it was like a whole thing. <laughs> and people were still getting away with that then. Yeah. And you cannot get away with that now. We know better. We know better. Um Anybody who doesn't is willful ignorance at this point. Um, so yeah, yeah. That um, I know people have like defended him over the years, like Sam Jackson. I think Pam Greer said something about Jackie Brown specifically, where she's like, uh, "Oh, when Spike Lee came out about it." Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sp- Spike Lee is one of the most critical. Spike Lee voices. was upset. Uh, it's like, yeah. and He's been I critical of him since the from the nineties to Django. Like, it's just oh you know, yeah. yeah, 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 and. Pam Greer was like, oh, Sam Jackson added a bunch of the, you're dropping the N-word and like um, Tarantino maybe had like five or 10 in the script and then Sam Jackson had a bunch, you know, it's like, so yeah. I don't know. It's like, I, you know, that's what she said. I don't know, but it's I mean, like, uh, it's, it's, it's so yeah, weird. Some like, people I, use the word. <laughs> right. Like, you can use the word, but not quite. <laughs> like, you know, people, there's, there's times where it, it makes 
where there's a reason to use it in a script when you're like trying to depict a particular character, a particular time. Sure. <laughs> there is such a thing right. as, as throwing it in. I don't these, know, to be shocking. These white people be, get crazy. I, mean, I, don't I don't know. know what to, <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. I don't know what I don't want to blow its mind. I, I'm white, but <laughs> for the listeners, uh, no. What? But I see people. No. I know. I know. Uh, I see people on like Facebook comment threads. I live in a weird area because it's like pretty diverse. We have these like real country sections where they have like we have like cities. It's like very close. It's all these things mixing together: urban, country. Um, and you'll, these Facebook comment threads for like our local news are just a shit show. <laughs> it's oh, like no. some, someone, people, always, I see white people say this all the time or they're like, oh, well, black people use the N-word. Why can't we? I'm like, because <laughs> like, how, what, do you eternal... need to explain to you? Like, um, I hear them using as a term of endearment. Yes, to each other. <laughs> it's like, oh <laughs> my God. I just don't like, I just don't, I don't understand. I'm like, what is wrong? Like they need to explain to them. Like, you just don't do it. I don't know what it's like. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know. So I don't know. The Tarantino thing has been, I know it's been going on for like America's got a now. problem. America's got a problem. <laughs> America's got a lot of problems and you'll see it in your Facebook <laughs> comment sections on your local news pages. Um, yes, you will. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, he, he's, yeah. so yeah, I guess that whole debate's been on for like 30 years and maybe we'll stop when he stops making movies. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's um I don't think he does it with malice, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I I don't think any of it's done with malice cuz you just, you know, you see what he likes and read his backstory and what he's about and what he loves, but like Oh, sure. There's this disconnect I mean, for him. I get it. I get yeah. it. Cuz I love a lot of those things too. I'm saying he could, <laughs> he made a film, Jackie Brown, Max Cherry never uses that word. That's true. Yeah. Max yeah, Cherry would never. Is <laughs> that word? I'm oh, just saying. Yeah. Max Cherry really is the best kind of person. Like all he of really is. I just adore him so much. <laughs> oh, it's so funny that and I feel he, like and he's within like and and the character is within like my my dating range. So if there's a real oh. life Max Cherry out there. <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. I hope you find, I hope you find <laughs> Max Cherry up there somewhere. I'm more, I'm more likely to be cruising down the street, singing along the cross 110th street on my way somewhere. But <laughs> I mean, I'll be doing that tomorrow on the way to work, probably crying <laughs> as I drive to work. Uh, it's just because I'm sad. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. I feel like this is like the after show that we've done for the past, like 30 minutes that I'm still going to leave it in the episode, but it's like, this feels like bonus content. <laughs> after the I mean, ranking. you could, you could definitely like, th there is, I mean, you could split this into two episodes. I could, I could do the Jackie Brown part and the Tarantino ranking part separately, but will I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's tough. Cause then people like listen to Jackie Brown and then they, we keep saying we're going to do a ranking. And then right. if I don't do a ranking at the end, it'll be like, where's the ranking. If that, like next time, it'll be like Kill Bill Volume One and Volume Two. <laughs> like, you said at the beginning, like you said off top, like, "Hey guys, we're gonna do a ranking at the end," so it would be weird to kind of leave that. Yeah, uh, no, you're right. Yeah, I can't. Okay, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we should. This has been. This has truly been one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on this podcast. Oh, friend. Yeah. You all are the best. Uh, it has we should been probably wrap fun. up because it is also twelve thirty my time, and I have work in 
six and a half hours. Uh, so I should probably maybe seven. I think I'm counting it wrong. Um, but it's been great. I didn't want to stop. So uh, <laughs> I will let you guys plug stuff, press in, where people follow you and all that. Oh, yeah. Um, um, if you're on Twitter, uh, uh, yeah, feel free to follow me. I, I follow back pretty frequently at uh, P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T or Letterboxd. If you're uh, active on there, I certainly am at P-R-E-S-T-O underscore M-I-T-C-H. Um, Matt, thank you again for having me, brother. And thank you for reuniting me with Carmelita, my <laughs> kindred spirit in film love, you know, love it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, this was great. Thank you for being here. So, um, Carmelita, people follow you. Where can, where can the future, where can Max Cherry follow you? <laughs> Real life Max Cherry. <laughs> Max, if you're out there, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Still on Twitter. I'm sticking it out. It still exists. It's good. <laughs> and Letterboxd. Same handle for both at Carmelita Says. Okay. Uh, good stuff. I, I was like, what, what do I say? It's like, what's my stuff? Uh, oh God, it's so late. Um, okay, you can follow me on Twitter at Maplet87. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Peace Pod. You can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Peace. <laughs> oh my God, I lose my mind. Um, people know, they know these things. Um, I think that's it to plug. Okay, next week, if you've listened to this almost four-hour episode, God bless you. And next week, it'll probably be another super long episode because it should be me and Daniel and Keith doing our favorite discoveries of the year episode. Oh, another nice. one that I love. So, um, yes, I look forward to that. And that should be next week. Hopefully, <laughs> I think it goes according to plan. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>